Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the About Tree Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About Tree Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also youtube.com slash About Tree Review. You can contact the show, which I always forget to talk about. Contact the show with at About, uh, no, about to, <laughs> about to Review at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, you can find full show notes and stream the websites. Episodes. The webisodes. The webisodes. Stream now. the episodes directly from the website about treeview.com. Uh, and also find the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, regardless of what podcast platform you use. Pretty sure it is on there. If yeah. you find a podcast platform it is not on, definitely let me know because that would be good to know. But yeah, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, and anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, on today's episode, mm-hmm. I am joined by Tim Hall, the People's Critic. It's good to be back in studio this time. Back in studio, yeah. So I quick, not a, not apology, but yeah. Last week's episode, audio was a little bit weird. Why are you apologize? You you don't say no apology and then apologize for it. <laughs> so yeah, what's, what's, what are we talking about on this week's episode? <laughs> wait, 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 is that new? Uh, which one? This recorder thing. Is that the same one? Same one. It just normally I have it on a little oh, tripod got thing. You. It yeah, looked yeah. like a new toy. Uh, no, definitely not a new toy. So this week's episode is chock full of a bunch of new movies that are that we saw last week yes. uh super busy week last week as we we're kind of right in the middle of summer so the movies that we're going to review on this week's episode leave no trace mm-hmm. the documentary whitney ant-man and the wasp uncle drew sicario day of the soldado mm-hmm. and then we will round out the episode with my research assignment yes which was 500 days of summer mm-hmm. so we'll talk about that at the end of the movie and because that one is kind of a uh, not a repeat viewing. It's the first time seeing it like an old viewing. We're going to use the tried and true system of too late or worth the wait. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so we will get in to all of that. Uh, also, before we get into the show, Renton City Comic Con Geek Awards, uh-huh. the nominations and voting is still open. So the link for that will be in the show notes below. If you go on facebook.com slash about review, you can also leave a review for the podcast. So now we will get started with the podcast that gives you all the movie reviews, interviews, and geek news with the theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So, we'll see how much I flub through everything else on this episode like, like I did right. in the intro. John, do you know what today is? I do, and actually, I think I think I know exactly what you're going to say, and it is on my last item of geek news. So, if it is, if I do not mention it, but I'm pretty sure I know exactly what day it is that you're going to be bringing up. Are you sure? Yep. So, we'll get into the geek news All first. Right. <laughs> first thing, uh, the DC Universe streaming service okay. is going to be launching a beta in August and rolling out more towards... The fall. Mm-hmm. This is something you and I have talked about a lot, which yeah. is kind of, as opposed to our youth or our childhood, which is the VHS versus beta wars. Yeah. And then later in life, it was the super HD versus the Blu-ray, like yeah. all these things. Right now, it is the content wars. Yeah. I, because, don't even, I don't even know if those things were wars. They were just figuring out what which whatever 
content porn was going to use because that was going to drive. I was the just going to say <laughs> what's funny in both of those digital media battles, yeah. the adult film industry is what decided. Yeah, like a hundred percent. I did, but this is uh, um, this is different. Yeah, this so is the, the content wars. I mean, because we have Netflix, yeah. Amazon Prime, or Amazon Video, Hulu, Hulu, all of the uh, CBS, uh, all, 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 access. all access, yeah. So freeform, like all of mm-hmm. these different avenues which companies are like okay what else do people want and how can we package it so cbs all access or nope that is not the right one dc universe is going to be rolling out this fall with new programming which again is something that is smart that these things are doing one of the new shows is going to be titans a live action teen titans show yeah i saw that they've been putting out some promo content for that yeah they so they put out some promo it's a little darker there's like yeah, there's, blood on the images. Well, the, what is funny is the first one they rolled out like six months ago, mm-hmm. it showed uh, Bre- Brenton Thwaite, yeah, something Brenton like Thwaite. that, yeah. uh, as Dick Robin. Grayson Robin. Yeah. And it was like a side profile, uh-huh. a shadow, but like he looks like a younger kid. And it was yeah. like, all right, cool. The promo images they started rolling out this past week. The full suit. The full suit and Robin is beat to hell. <laughs> yeah. Like he is bloody. He is just bruised. Yeah. So this live action T Titans show is going to have Raven and Starfire and Beast Boy yeah. all on this new streaming platform. That's smart. Yeah. And Greg Berlanti yeah. is one of the producers. I have faith in Greg Berlanti. What I'm concerned about is in one of the articles that I read, cause somebody has already seen the pilot. Yeah. Like this is going to be, you know, darker than Batman versus Superman and justice league. And it was like, Right, because that is exactly what the DC universe I mean, needs. That's, I think they're trying to be something just different than the CW shows that they have. But Arrow, like Arrow, is, is still a CW show. Oh, it is. But do you really need to go darker than that for it? A, it's, for not a a, it's not a. It's not a need to. It's what they've chosen to do with it. Yeah. There's never a need. Does the Arrow need to be as light as it needs to be? Does Flash need to be as light and fun? No, it's not a need to. It's someone made a choice to say. We have these crop of shows to show on television for kids to watch. Mm-hmm. But if you're an adult and you want to watch this and you're into sort of the darker themes, here's something we can do. They're just trying to be different. They're trying to be, because, yep. you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp is fun and light and mm-hmm. cute. They want something different. They're, and they're hoping that, that that sort of like, ooh, this is really cool and edgy looking comics will drive a different audience and maybe make people curious enough to be into their platform. Yeah. I think that's that's the plan. Now, if it works, if it's if it if that right. theme works for the show, was a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. I understand the idea behind trying it. I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. If it, here's the thing: if it's good content, it'll work for sure. And I mean, and I of course will be on board as early as as possible. Uh, but the most exciting thing to me with yeah. this whole DC Universe streaming yeah. service, they announced as part of this, like, oh yeah, we have live action shows like Titans. They're going to be putting on Batman the Animated Series. Good. The entire thing. Of course. They're putting on all of Superman, yeah. all the Superman movies, the entire Wonder Woman TV show. It's what we talked about last week. Like, it's not necessarily just the new content. It's yep. all the old stuff you get to put on there that people want to have access to. It's all their old animated, the, the, the animated movies that they've been killing over the last few yeah. years. Flashpoint is going to be on all there. All that stuff. Wonder Woman. Yep. So, it's I mean, that. It's access to that kind of stuff. Yep. Stuff that we, the old, probably the old Flash TV show. Um, uh, that actually, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was on Netflix for a while, but yeah, they might bring it back. Why wouldn't you pull it from Netflix and put it on your own platform? Yeah. I mean, I just, I love that they're doing that. 
Because, I mean, I owned all of those episodes of Batman yeah. the Animated Series through totally legal, 100% legal means. Yeah. Uh, but give it to me in a different platform, in HD, whatever, yeah. streaming. Like, yeah. absolutely. So it's one of the best depictions of Batman. And a, and a great, a really, I was watching some old episodes a couple months ago. It's still a really, really, really good show. Yeah. Some really touching stuff. Think about, you know, you have Masculine Phantasm on there. So good. You'll have, you know, Batman Beyond. You'll have mm-hmm. all these interesting um, iterations of Batman and another DC character, but Batman being their cornerstone right. on this platform for people to watch. Mm-hmm. Even the cheesy old Batman movies. Like yeah. The old, like the old, mm-hmm. old 1960s. I was like, yeah, the original Batman yeah. movie. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. It'll mm-hmm. be it'll, it, hopefully that old show's on there. <coughs> yeah, it very well could be. Yeah. So, so that actually that is what I'm more excited about versus uh, like the Teen Titans live action stuff. Of course, I'm going to be there. Yeah, but seeing everything else, yeah, yeah, that is exciting. So yeah, DC Universe beta in August, and then the fall is when it will be a larger right. rollout. Everyone's looking for like if 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 I'm a streaming platform service, mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Uh, a Stranger Things or something yeah. like that that's going to not only be popular but kind of be this cultural pop culture sort Zeit, of like right in the zeitgeist yeah, that, that everybody that, that you know because when they weren't really pressing Stranger Things when it came out really. it sort of came out and it mm-hmm. became a hit on its own and then now this whole thing started I remember at San Diego Comic Con they had all these Where's Will posters mm-hmm. people were like what is this <laughs> people had no like, idea oh it's a Netflix show and it was like oh and then it came out and everyone watched it and was like oh this is incredible well and like those early posters where it would show like the monster in the clouds yeah that was it and yeah. so people were just like uh, no one okay. had no, no idea what it was mm-hmm. um, so yeah everyone wants because there is as much as the old content is great there is if you can hit lightning in a bottle with some original mm-hmm. content it can really launch a platform yeah, everyone wants that. So it is smart that they already have you know those live action mm-hmm. things lined up, while also relying on like no people are going to give us five dollars, ten dollars a month to watch the old stuff. Also, and all the CW <laughs> shows I imagine will make it on there. Probably. I mean, yeah, it it would make sense because I mean, all of them have deals with Netflix where I think like a month or two mm-hmm. after their season finale, it usually gets dumped on Netflix. But this could be something where it goes on there a week later. You know. Or like HBO Go does, where it's up. It's oh, yeah, right away. Yeah. So that that is exciting. Uh, I am on board for that. Next thing, uh, a new poster that got dropped yeah. that I would not say was a surprising drop. It was just, it was it was unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that is surprising. It is real early and I'm real tired. Uh, but the glass poster, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. I mean, are they actually going to call it Glass? I mean, this is yeah. essentially a sequel to... It's called Glass. I would almost say it is a sequel more tour or more for um, Split than Unbreakable, mainly because Split is kind of what introduced us to this greater kind of uh, Shyamalan-verse. Um, it's both. It's a sequel. It's sort of the, the end, the final story in the trilogy. It sort of bookends all three Oh, movies. you think this is going to be... Oh, okay. This is it. This is the trilogy. This is how it ends. With, See, because I just... These all days... all of them in a mental facility. Ooh, I like that. What? Or they're in a church. No, they're, they're, they're literally in a mental facility. That's the plot of the movie. Oh, really? Yep. I've not even read the synopsis. But yeah, the, they the all poster. think they're crazy because they believe the superheroes so they put them on this facility and then things go crazy. Uh, they're all in there. I like I it. think that's even in the poster. If you look, I think they're all. Oh, like, okay. In, uh, yeah, the poster is pretty dope. So it has like on one side it has Samuel L. Jackson mm-hmm. as a, Mr. Glass. Mr. Glass. Middle, you have James McAvoy yeah. 
as the beast or yeah. whatever they're deciding to call him. And then you have Bruce Willis on the right side. Right. Really cool poster, really minimal, mm-hmm. but awesome color palette. Yeah. So that's what I mean. I, I'm on board for that day. But then they're reflecting, you see their characters. Yeah, yeah, in the floor. Yeah, in the yeah. floor, you see the reflection of the characters. So, yeah. And they did say that at San Diego Comic-Con, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, yeah. that I think they're going to launch a trailer yeah. and do a panel. Absolutely. And, so. Yeah, it's, it's the best of... Shyamalan storytelling, hundred percent. So it's good it, for him. I'm glad he's bouncing back. I mean, Sixth Sense, I would say, is is still his best. Mm-hmm. But as far as weaving stories together, yeah, this is by far his best work. Yeah, so that should be pretty cool. Uh, the other thing that I'm looking forward to at San Diego Comic Con is any sort of Aquaman footage. We'll get a trailer. But are we going to get it when San Diego Comic Con does, or are they going to be stupid and wait another like, no, they, month? No, they, they've done it with um, Batman vs Superman with Justice League. As they show the trailer, it was not available on YouTube, okay. so I which, expect them to do the same. Which is smart because no matter what type of security you have, yeah. people are going to boot. Yeah, I don't it. think it's going to be that. I think they're going to um, they're going to be smart about it and put yeah. it out. They've done it before. I don't see why this would be any different. I just, I yeah, I, I want to see it <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, moving on from glass. So Indiana Jones five pass <laughs> after the crystal skull, just give it up. Pass. Yeah. Just Unless stop. Harrison Ford is in this whole thing of going around killing off his old characters. If that's just something he plans on doing. I'm on board. I would be on board for that. Yeah. Uh, so Indiana Jones five was set to start filming at the end of this year. That got pushed back, uh, in a new report. They said, they, they're pushing back filming for a few months, possibly a year, a.k.a. this movie is not going to happen. It might not happen, no. I don't know if there's... Mm. Yeah, I, I just, it might not happen. Yeah, and I'm what, fine with. One of the reasons, yeah, one of the reasons is Spielberg, who of course would be involved in Indiana Jones, is focusing on West Side Story next yeah. year, which even though I'm very, very nervous about... Why? Because West Side Story is in my top 10 films of all time. What do you, what's the nervousness? The nervousness is if they're going to do what they did with like Jesus Christ Superstar 2000. Why? Because if they, if they mess it up, not, not that if they mess it up, but it's just like West Side Story is such a beautiful film remaking it. I'm excited for it, but I'm just like, they, I just, I hope they do it justice. I hope they do it. Spielberg knows what he's doing. He does. He's going to give you a well-crafted, well-made film. Yeah, always. Whether whether or not you love the film or not, it's always very well made. Always very I mean, he, well he knows how to he knows how to make a movie. <laughs> he knows how to make a movie. And if he's embarking on making West Side Story, look, here's the thing: if if it comes out and it's trash, mm-hmm. guess what? We always have the original. Got the original. Yep. It's, it's not they're not burning all the copies of it. Just like you and I always talk about when it's all fine. the nerds are like, they ruined Star Wars. Yeah. Why? You can go back and watch any of the Star Wars you yeah, want. You can watch it. It's it's. <laughs> It's, 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 I'm interested to see who you cast in West Side Story. That's yeah. way more fascinating to me than the remake. Like, who are you putting in this role? Who's they did an it? open casting call like eight months ago. I got sent that email from various friends and everything like mm-hmm. that so many times. Th- that would be incredible. Uh, spoiler alert, I did not audition for it. I mean, I, yeah, the, I really don't have a reason. You should. I, I should have. They are done now, I think. But yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for West Side Story, especially if they focus on that and just give up on Indiana Jones. I don't. Just, they don't. They can do both. They can, but like they can do both. nobody. I mean, even with Crystal Skull, mm-hmm. leading up to it, people are like, "Yay, Indiana Jones is back!" Within a week or two, people are like, 
why why was this made yeah this is a bad movie yeah more so than it was like indiana jones fatigue it was just a terrible movie not they can come back and make think about it jurassic park 3 was like eh, this is stupid but then jurassic world was like oh hey you guys figured something out mm-hmm. and you told a really cool jurassic story and then fallen kingdom came out <laughs> yeah right but there is there is room for it to still be decent yeah it just depends on what kind of story you're telling and when this actual story with indiana jones takes place and that is the other thing is like yeah what decade it would be smart if they send it said it now or at least close to now is he dead well, he was fighting what nazis happened? in the 1940s what do you think he's and he was old then so you know the reason the way that they could get around that and this is something i talked about before years before crystal skull was even talked about so after the events with the ark of the covenant mm-hmm. you have an easy out to be like because of that his body does not age as quick as uh, everybody else. Uh, don't do that. Uh, so we're aliens. Don't do that. Yeah. It's dumb as well. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Just, so I, you know. I just, who knows? <laughs> you can recast Indiana Jones, too. You don't have, it doesn't have to be Harrison Ford. It could be whoever. Yeah. Just not. You could shy, update shy it now. And it could be another person. It could be a woman. And it's just Indiana Jones now. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Oh, speaking of something. And I actually did not put this on the geek news. But. Uh, Charlize Theron recently was talking about somebody, uh, I think Chris Pratt was like, oh, she would be a great James Bond, all no. that. Uh, and she made a comment and she was like, she was like, I, I'm not worried about being James Bond. Yeah. I already have my own franchise. Atomic Blonde 2 is in the works. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Like Atomic Blonde, love or hate the movie or like or love or hate the movie. She was a like she is a legitimate solid action She's star. She's a solid action star, yeah, yeah. Like so, and if you get somebody like David Leach who knows how to film a fight scene because he was a former stunt guy, like I, I would be on board for Atomic Blonde too. I did not love the movie. Did not love the movie, but it was solid. The soundtrack was incredible. Yeah. But yeah, so she was talking about that, and so yeah, yeah, you can recast and do all of that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the last bit of geek news is not really geek news related, is- but today. July 1st. July 1st. Every July 1st. Every July 1st until 2035. Yes. Is a very important day that Tim and I talk about almost every year. It's my favorite day. Bobby Bonilla Day. It's Bobby Bonilla Day. Tim, explain to the people what Bobby Bonilla Day is. Bobby Bonilla uh, <laughs> was, a gr- was a pretty good baseball player. You know, started with the with the Pirates. was on that team with Barry mm-hmm. Bonds and yep. Vance Slyke. That almost went to the World Series that year, but they lost to the Braves. Anyway. Um, played was that when David Justice yeah, was, the was the Braves? Yeah, Braves, yeah. Gotcha. So he signs a deal with the Mets. So the Mets want out of his contract. They want to buy him out. Mm-hmm. The remaining eight million or six million or something. I think yeah, like eight point nine. And so his agent, they wanted this. The crazy part is they wanted the money to get into this Madoff thing he was doing, which ended up being a scam. Mm-hmm. But the Mets owners wanted to be in on it. They needed the money. So part of the buyout was that they would defer the contract until two thousand eleven, mm-hmm. and they would pay an interest on it, mm-hmm. and it would give him installments. Mm-hmm. And but with the entrance interest, it ended up being twenty nine million million dollars. <laughs> this flips six in the twenty nine. So every July first, from that <laughs> from two thousand eleven until two thousand thirty five, mm-hmm. they pay Bob Bonilla one point one nine million dollars. Now keep Cut in mind for those. I mean, because I have a lot of listeners who might not be sports fans. Bobby Bonilla has not played a single game of baseball. Yeah, since I want to say two thousand nine. Probably not. Yeah. Like he is just chilling. Chilling. This is the. This is like when you. And he already made like forty nine, fifty million in his career. When you like, whenever they talk about like, oh, if I were to win the lottery, if you would take the lump sum or the annuity, 
anybody under a certain age, just do the annuity. A lump sum you're going to burn through and be stupid. The bankrupt, the lottery curse when everybody goes bankrupt. Do the annuity and then like Bob Bonilla, you can mess up your finances all year if you want. July 1st, you get a check for $1.19 million. Yeah. And like he had a separate deal also uh, that like was paying out another little bit. And it was yeah. like that good. agent that he has. Good. Best I, I, I was at a similar agent uh, when he signed his, his Reebok deal. It was a big shoe deal. And his agent realized that he was hang, hanging around a bunch of like hangers on. This mm-hmm. was like early 2000s NBA where these dudes was just doing too much with the entourage. Entourage of 30 people. So part of his deal was they would give him a small lump sum of money. Mm-hmm. Like fifteen million up front, but the rest of the money was deferred until a year after he retired playing. He would get money every year. So smart. Iverson said the smartest things. He said he was pissed initially, of course, but it was like that's kind of the smartest thing that's ever happened. You'll uh, never be broke. There was a never be broke. No, there was a a young player. I was just watching like first take or something. Uh, Fun Funches, I can't remember, but yeah, young kid, like coming in at nineteen. His first job was playing with a huge, like, you know, $70 million contract mm-hmm. as his first job. And so he remembers t- he talked about getting his first paycheck and being like, they took my money. Like, what? why are, Why do yeah. I have all these deductions? Blah, blah. And he goes to an accountant with all of that. And she was like, those are taxes. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, but I'm guaranteed this much. And they're like, yeah, you are. Before the government takes its cut, and yeah. he was just upset, but it was like, yeah, there's yeah. A, there was that ESPN thirty for thirty called broke, and they talked about that. Yeah. Uh, Andre Risen talked about that. Right? No one is educating him on taxes. He nope. Like, yo, what's up with all this money? They're like, yeah, man, those are uh, they're taking out taxes. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's good for him. Mm-hmm. But I think also, especially with these young NBA players, LeBron has sort of been a template with how to handle business. Pretty so much, a lot of these guys are much smarter about how they handle their money and how they handle their business. And you you look at, um, I'm just. Sports tangent, but when it was like LeBron, Wade, and Bosch when they all played together mm-hmm. in Miami, what made that happen was before that the people were used to taking these long seven year, eight year deals, right? Yep. And LeBron and Wade and Bosch were like, no, we can just take play two or oh, no, three year deal. Three. Mm-hmm. And if our teams are competitive, we can opt out, mm-hmm. um, which was smart. Even Kevin Durant, right? It's a two year deal he's taking, if for like a ridiculous amount of money, obviously, stupid, but it allows him. <laughs> to then have a player option to sign a Supermax in two summers from now, which is brilliant. Yeah. Which is why Brian Windhorst was losing his mind last night over Paul George's deal because he was like... Did he do a one-year? No, he did like a a, a three-year, oh, right. three-and-one with a player option after, you know... I saw somebody only did like, like a one, and it was like, okay. Like, it depends. Like yeah. it, if That allows you to then get a max deal from a team. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Take that one year. Um but yeah, saying that essentially Paul George left money on the table by doing that. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of money. He was like, it just doesn't make any sense financially. Like, why would you do that? Even if you plan on staying in OKC, why? that's not the deal. For you personally, that's not the deal you want. Yeah. And, and well, apparently OKC is playing crazy money because they went over the luxury tax. Ugh. So if you do it consecutive years, they call it repeater tax. So it tax you more money. So they're going to have like the high, OKC will have the highest payroll of any team in the NBA. Higher than the champions, higher than these other franchises. It's going to be the Oklahoma City Thunder because they're paying the repeater tax. Hashtag save our sounders. <laughs> or save our sound, save our sonics. But, but you know, they're paying a tax for a team that's probably going to get back. Uh, this is a team that got swept in the first round. They're now, they're now paying this, this ridiculous tax. <laughs> Melo opted in for like a guaranteed like $28 million. Mm. 
He was like, oh yeah, I'm opting in on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, where do I sign? Yeah. yeah. No way. Why is he opting out? No one's going to pay $28 million for Melo to play. I, just, I mean, yeah, these contracts are crazy, but I, I I like hearing the stories of the younger players, like you said, learning from yeah. LeBron. Learning from LeBron. And guys. there was another player, I think it was the same player, who said he gave himself an allowance. Yeah. Every month he has $8,000, which again a lot is stupid. But with his accountant, he has money in so many different places, so many investments. He only gets a check for $8,000 every month, and that is it. Yeah, I, I'm sure if he if you're smart something, about it, if you're, I, I mean, like, I mean, people, you know I mean, they're much smarter. Like Andre yeah. Iguodala and these guys for the for the Warriors are, you know, they're down there in Silicon Valley, and they're they're really doing a good job of investing in tech and mm-hmm. and trying to be more diverse with how they spend their money. And they're not like I'm opening a barbershop or <laughs> record label. It's much uh, more easier. The worst. <laughs> like LeBron's invested in Liverpool, yeah, the soccer team, and made money off it. Mm-hmm. The whole article, if you. Please read it. Just Google LeBron Liverpool. You read all about LeBron's investment and how much money he made on that investment. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Good times. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day, everyone. Happy. Yeah. So, Bobby Bonilla Day, there will be a link to an article uh, yeah. in the show notes for Bobby Bonilla. Yeah. It is just a fascinating sports story. This guy, and I would not even say finessed yeah. his way. Like, it was just a really solid contract that his agent worked out. And before we move on, you know what the other crazy sports contract was the St. Louis Spirits. They were an ABA team, the okay. basketball team, right? Yeah. So during the ABA NBA merger, right, mm-hmm. with these uh, for these younger listeners, there was there was once an ABA. There was once a time there that were two was basketball. The, teams. the ABA was basically all the darkies. Yeah, and, NBA was, and the was, NBA was like, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, it wasn't just color; it was the style of play was different, right? It was, it yeah. was Julius Irving. It was Dr. J it was, just it was, dunking even, on everybody. It, even the white players played that way. It was like a looser, freer style of basketball. Yeah. They had a, the so again for listeners who maybe not. Not know if you ever see a rain, uh, black and red, bar, red, white, and blue basketball, yeah. that was the ABA, ABA, ball. ABA ball. So, during the merger, they were buying teams out. Mm-hmm. So, part of the merger for the St. Louis Spirits were that they would take a lump sum of money from the NBA and also they would take a percentage of the TV rights. Now, this was 1970 something when there were only like four channels, no magic, <laughs> no bird, no nothing. Right. There, there wasn't, I mean, the the NBA finals were on tape delay. <laughs> they didn't show the NBA. They didn't show the NBA. Also, game on TV. This was right. all what was happening in television, right? The dunk contest. Nobody knew what no a dunk contest was. <laughs> so fast forward. Mm-hmm. Bird comes in the league. Magic comes in the league. Ratings go through the roof. Mm-hmm. Jordan shows up. Another mm-hmm. ratings bonanza, right? Right. So the spirits no longer have a team. So there's no overhead costs, no nothing. They're just cutting a check every year from the TV money. That's now sort of quadrupled. In the Wait, span how, of like what? How many decades was on that contract? Like, it was in perpetuity. They just wh- wh- got the what? money. <laughs> they just kept getting checks. Wow. They so when David Stern retired, he said that was his biggest regret because he couldn't. He would sit down with them mm-hmm. about every year and try to buy them out, and they would say, "Now nah, we're good. Let me take this check Jeez. we're getting for our family." And just every year they would cash a check because they would get this TV money. So, you know, when, when you look at collective bargaining agreements and you, you listen to lockouts, I mean, mm-hmm. we're probably going to have one soon with the NFL. Probably. Part of that bargaining is this lump sum that these networks are paying because they know it's, we just, I mean, this is really is tied into what we've been talking about, right? Content wars and streaming. Mm-hmm. So these networks are really up against the wall. And the only saving grace they have is live sports. The only saving grace, right? Fox cashed in with the World Cup. Yeah. So everyone's watching Fox News. I'm a Fox, but watching Fox, Fox mm-hmm. Sports. Yeah. But what that also allows them to do during those, when I have your undivided attention, like, okay, so next time you're watching an NFL game, notice 
coming out of a timeout. They'd be like, hey, Mike and Molly's coming on, right. and it's 8 o'clock Central, or whatever the show is, right? The little characters yeah. down at the pop them. But that allows screen. them, since they have your attention, because you don't want to watch the Seahawks game two days from now, is while we have you, we're going to pump all this other stuff at you, and then we can give you this these native advertising, mm-hmm. because we know people are watching. It's hard to, to pitch people as much as I love, let's say, the CW shows. Mm-hmm. I can watch The Flash if we have a screening that night, I might watch it Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. I don't have to watch it right away. No. Uh, but with the sports, I want to watch, like, I want to watch the World Cup now. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go home and watch the World Cup it was on this morning. So since they know that, there's so much money, ESPN, and ABC, the parent company, mm-hmm. Fox, NBC, is throwing at these these teams to split this money up. But that So that lump sum of money is what these owners get out of the TV deal. Two billion, whatever you're splitting them with thirty on it. So there was an end. So there was so with the Spirits, there was an NBA team mm-hmm. that was getting a chunk of the money, getting a share, the same share the Lakers got. Mm-hmm. But they don't have a team. They're not paying Kobe and Shaq. They're just amazing. So they just bought them out uh, oh, a few man. years ago for something crazy like five hundred million, something insane. They bought them out for. They just bought them out. So the Spirits, salute to you guys. Rest for, in peace. <laughs> For uh, that that family for really just collecting a bag mm-hmm. every year and not blinking and being like, oh, so man, smart. think about that. Like, why would I do that? I don't have any overhead costs. And it, it really, it's funny if you ever hear Stern talk about it, it really frustrated him because he was like, <laughs> these guys. Which you, like, and the owners were probably pissed because that's part of their money. Yeah. We're putting I mean, in 33 can I, be, can I be mad at somebody making a different decision than you? Yeah, it made sense at the time. It said yeah. with the Madoff thing with... with, with um, Bobby Bonilla. It made sense at the time. Mm-hmm. Not no. I mean, again, the thing and the reason that Bobby Bonilla that he gets this amount every year is because yeah. there was X amount left on his contract. It was at like eight point five percent interest, right? So that lump sum that just yeah. sits there is making money all year, all year long. <laughs> um, just like you know, Josh Williams talked about this, like all the rights he got for Buffy. Oh god, no TV networks doing that again. <laughs> Not a chance. But at the time, it made sense. You're making this quirky teen comic book drama. Mm-hmm. All right, you want the rights to this? Okay. Uh, the same with the merchandising rights to Star Wars. It made sense at the time. Mm-hmm. Have you oh been yeah, watching we'll uh, merchandising rights? Oh, okay, sure. Did you watch uh, the toys that made us? I haven't watched the new one yet. So that show, yeah. and again, growing up, not really having the toys because it just. That was not. Yeah. That was just a luxury. But watching him being like, I remember these and these and these. Like yeah. those. That Star Wars story. Yeah. With Kendall. Yeah. Being like, oh yeah, fine. Just we need toys made. Fine, you get eighty five percent of yeah. the royalties. That's crazy. For like thirty years. And it was crazy. <laughs> so and then just exploded. And then they when they renegotiated, they got like two percent. <laughs> yeah, of course they did. So, but yeah, yeah. So toys that made us definitely check that out. And rest in peace, toys R Us. By the way. I have zero memories from Toys R Us. How? We were never... Was it one where you grew up at? Yes. I can count on one hand the the times I've been inside of one. It it was a treat, bro. I love it. It was a treat that we could not afford. (laughs) I was just just on Chris Lambert's podcast yesterday Mm -hmm. talking about it. Yeah, man. It was like a staple in my childhood. I have very distinct memories of going to Toys R Us. I can sing the whole song, mainly just because I remember watching Saturday morning cartoons. Jeffrey. yeah, the the actual store zero nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gamespot. Speaking of companies that are yeah. falling apart, uh, good for you, Gamespot. Yeah. Go die in a fire. Yeah. Uh, when you bring in fifteen games and they give you a dollar. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's a it's a business model that worked ten years ago. Absolutely. All around. of those stuff, like when you so we see a bunch of screenings. Yeah. All the time, even the mall downtown Seattle. Yeah. AMC or Pacific Place. Yeah. 
there are at, at this current time like six storefronts empty mm-hmm. and they put up pictures and like all these nice things the mall is not what it was 10 no. 15 years ago it's not and so just it is kind of sad to walk through a mall that we are in all the time and being like every week it's like another store is gone. yeah wow. it, is, it is pretty but game spot yeah go die in a fire yeah. uh anyway okay so on to the actual uh movies that we're going to be reviewing uh the first one is leave no trace mm-hmm. now this movie uh it played during sif and i i missed it this Seattle international film festival they're doing an additional an additional screening so i definitely wanted to check it out because i kept hearing all of our friends put it in like their top three top five list of the year so i was like all right let, let me check it out so it stars ben foster and a new actress a new zealand actress thomason mckenzie uh, directed by Deborah Granick from Winter's Bone, which I remember that. I remember it. I don't think I actually saw it. Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence in kind of one of her mini dramas that was coming out. Yeah, that's a real big breakout role was her. Yeah. So this film centers on just Ben Foster and his daughter living in a forest park outside of Portland. Mm-hmm. Not even really outside. I mean, the park is in the middle of Portland, Oregon. It picks up when they're just kind of in the forest, just living, just hanging out. And you're never, you're not quite sure if this is a permanent thing or how they got there, when they got there, if this is something that they've been doing their whole life. Uh, similar to, what was it, Viggo Mortensen movie from Mr. Not Mr. Incredible? Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Incredible. You know, something like that where have these kids been there their entire life? Who Who knows? What was fascinating about this movie, though, so first of all, it, it is shot beautifully. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film, it was filmed in Portland, uh, Vancouver, parts of Oregon and Washington, gorgeous cinematography. And when you have a movie with just two people predominantly, mm-hmm. I kind of call it the castaway complex, where that was an extreme example because you have one dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to really have compelling character portrayals yeah. or the movie is just lost. It's like a stage play. It really is because if you are not invested in these two characters mm-hmm. from the beginning, mm-hmm. that it is going to be a long day. So with these, right off the bat, Thomason McKenzie is captivating. Mm-hmm. Like this young lady, she is—I don't even know—maybe eighteen or so—is incredible. And Ben Foster, I'm really hoping, similar to like we had Sam Rockwell last year, at some point people are going to be like, "Oh yeah, Ben Foster is actually a really good dramatic actor." Oh, he's good. He is really good. I feel like the stuff that he does gets attention, but he, for whatever reason, does not get like Heller, Heller High Water mm-hmm. was incredible. 310 to Yuma. Mm-hmm. Like Ben Foster is a legitimate yeah. dramatic actor. What, what is this film even about? So this film basically, so it starts off with them in the woods and they are hiding. Essentially we, we find out and a runner through the park sees her next thing we know the cops show up and arrest them for living in this park even though there are a whole bunch of people also living in the park but mainly because she is a young girl Mm -hmm. and those questions of like is this your dad is he hurting you are you okay kind of just start spiraling and that is what catapults the story out of the forest and onto their kind of journey of self-discovery and what does family mean Mm -hmm. 
do you like at one point they were like, Oh, you've been homeless. You know, when they were talking to Thomason, she was like, no, she's like, I was with my dad. That was our home. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of this dichotomy of what does home mean? What does family mean? Gotcha. There are parts of this film that I thought were absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. The performances, like both of them should definitely be getting some attention. Uh, both these actors, beautiful, beautifully shot at the end of the movie, the things that were really bothering me. So he is a, they never, uh, we'll say desert storm vet or Iraq war vet, Afghanistan, probably actually. And that kind of, you know, you're dealing with his PTSD and not really wanting to be around people, not really having the capability to be around people. And that plays into it. So you see him going to the VA, you see him talking to other veterans, not a single person of color in this entire movie. Yeah, it's a choice. It really, and like, that is the thing is this is a very apparent choice, I thought. But when I was talking to some of our other critic friends at a recent screening and I brought that up, they were like, oh, I didn't even notice that. Of course. Because film criticism, and Tim and I talk about this, is about lenses. Mm-hmm. Our experiences shape how we view movies. So at the end of this movie, when I was like, really? Not one. And they go, it is not just the two of them, the entire movie. Mm-hmm. They go to different campsites. They go to other places and interact with groups of people. Mm-hmm. And that was just a, a blatant choice that I do not understand, especially when it comes to veterans. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people of color there are that are veterans that are also in these same situations? Yeah. And that also bothered me in this film. That are homeless. That, that are homeless. And it bothered me in this film that multiple times, this family, the two of them, get these opportunities and get these chances for a better life. Mm-hmm from either strangers or others Mm -hmm. that just would not happen the same if they looked differently. That's fine. That's fine if that's their story, but yeah, Yeah. I think I could see why that would be a little jarring. Yeah. And apparently this is based off of a true story. Uh, There's a book called my abandonment. I, they did not really go into who it was. I was not able to find like an interview with the people. So overall, this film was interesting. It definitely made some great choices the complete lack of people of color, I, I do not understand uh, at all. And it no. really took away from the movie with me, for me. Yeah. Uh, and this drama is about two hours long. It feels like four hours. Should have been 90 minutes, huh? I mean, it just it is really dense, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like, you can kind of get absorbed into it, but this is not a movie you come out of being like, ah, that was a good... Like, you just come out of it and you're like, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw this, like... Back to back was this and then Whitney, which we'll oh. talk about in a bit. It's like two intense dramas. Yeah. So uh, the rating system for this podcast, mm-hmm. there are three choices. No letter grades, no stars, no nothing. Three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something that you would recommend. A bad film you do not necessarily dislike. It just is not something that you immediately would recommend to a friend. Ugly, avoid at all costs. Leave No Trace is tricky because the performances yeah. were fantastic. Mm-hmm. The cinematography was great. The storytelling was solid, mm-hmm. which would lead me to a good. But when I really thought about it, the lack of representation, the the choices that some of the people make in this film were personally hard for me to realize. Like this, It just took me out of the reality no. of the movie. So unfortunately, I, I am going to give this a bad uh, even though it was still a solid film, there will be people. There's an audience for it. 
there definitely there's an audience for it and i can appreciate a lot of what it does it just not for you uh, yeah not for me mm-hmm. so leave no trace gets a bad uh on to the second movie <laughs> that i saw that day back to back there were, i saw five movies in the theater last week yeah. it was crazy uh so how about you kick off the second movie which was whitney whitney is a documentary about whitney Houston, not to be mixed up with the whitney movie they did for like lifetime so, yeah they did because yeah. someone asked me who's playing whitney Houston?" i was like no it's a documentary i had so many people ask me that <laughs> i was it's, like it's, no it's mm-hmm. a documentary i i'm just they're not really doing a good job of promoting this film because it's, it's really really very well done yeah um it's essentially just a life of Whitney Houston. It starts with her as a child and ends with her untimely death. But it, uh, yeah, it fo- sort of follows her. There's a lot of footage of her backstage, mm-hmm. a lot of candid video footage, a lot of uh, one of the things I really, really, really do enjoy is is they're they're showing you either full performances or large chunks of her performances. Yep. Uh, Some of which I had never, I had seen. never seen either. Yeah. yeah, like her first live television performance. Yeah, 1983 yeah. at. 16 or 17 yeah. with this voice yeah. that when she's performing in that club for her mom when she's singing the, the, and like that was a yeah. great story so her mom that was another piece of the puzzle that i maybe heard about yeah. you know when we were kids that i did not realize how connected she was like her family was yeah. to music like yeah. her mom was a singer she has cousins to dion warwick that i knew See, I, yeah that i yeah. did not so but yeah, the, they tell this great story of when her mom was sent to perform and Whitney needs called to... Called in, quote unquote, six. Yeah, her mom called in six. <laughs> like, oh, Whitney, you just, you need to do this. Yeah. And she does. She does it. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot, a lot of really cool tidbits um, in it. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's her. It's a lot of, it's, it's her own words and her own voice, which I appreciate. I mean, there are interviews that they cut to with other people who show up. Bobby Brown shows up. Um, yeah. Her her mom mm-hmm. other close her brothers friends, her brothers mm-hmm. so they all kind of chime in it was essentially just her yeah talking and, and telling her story which was interesting again we were just talking about choices mm-hmm. you know when this starts out there's a really interesting choice that the director uh kevin mcdonald mm-hmm. made with this juxtaposition of showing the super poppy you know i want to dance with somebody juxtaposed with like news clips of yeah riots that were going on of stuff that's happening in the world like yeah like the, the here, current yeah, events here's what were happening in our time yeah that was interesting and it was jarring but again it was done on purpose yeah. like it would go from the video of i want to dance somebody which is hyper color and poppy and amazing to then like a dan rather style yeah. news story of you know kuwait or something and you're mm. like <laughs> yeah this is what was happening in our world and it was all kind of stuff it was like there were like elections and mm-hmm. all kind of stuff that was happening as you know as her music was growing, but it, I think it was smart to show sort of how the world was changing around what Whitney was doing. Mm-hmm. A lot of really cool stuff. Like I didn't, the, the, the entire segment about the national anthem was probably my favorite. Oh, Cause you get, <laughs> I had no idea how it even came about. So they explained how that came about mm-hmm. that whole performance. Um, they show it, they show it in its yep, entire. That was awesome. Um, how she was like the first performer to, to perform in South Africa after the ending of apartheid. Right. So it's her singing in front of this humongous crowd They're of South like Africa. 70,000 people or something. <laughs> and, like, it's, and it's just her in a microphone in the spotlight, just sitting on stage performing. <laughs> it is brilliant. But also, you know, you see some of the dark stuff. You see, you see yeah. sort of this boulder rolling down the hill mm-hmm. when she meets Bobby Brown and then Bobby's really self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And then as that's happening, she gets bodyguard and it's sort of like, it's catapults out she's out of there 
and what that does to her career and does to her relationship with her husband. And then like her her daughter that comes up and yeah, and that yeah. that was I think one of the hardest parts about this movie is unlike our my favorite documentary of the year and one of my favorite movies of the year, Won't You Be My Neighbor? We knew we knew roughly his path, mm-hmm. roughly. I mean, there was stuff that we we found out like his show for adults that he did and things like that, but you knew roughly there were so many things with this when it starts off at 16, 17 and she is just happy. And with this voice of an angel that will never be repeated, but you know, like anybody who follows, you know, media and music over the past few years, like, you know what happened that last 10 years of her life. Mm -hmm. And so as happy as those moments were the whole time, like at one point, like I was physically holding and I, I was just doing it right now. Like I was just like holding my jacket just, because yeah. I knew what was coming. Yeah, we know what happens. It's sad, but it's a, also a cautionary tale. There is one person who's mentioned in the documentary who I was hoping would show up for an interview. A very strong figure in Whitney's life who doesn't show up, which I was well, very surprised. I, I was like never, waiting for the shoe to drop. Yep. Like, oh, and I'd never heard of come her. in here and drop some bombs, and it never happened. But it's funny. Once you're introduced <laughs> to this character, when you're watching other footage, you sort of just see her around. All the time. And I was All like, how have I never heard about this woman until the, now? Those glasses, the haircut. Just around. like she helped shape Whitney's style yeah. and videos, all that, yeah. and yeah, because it was weird. Because like Bobby Brown only showed up in like late in the second act, yeah. And again, we knew he was going to be in it, but as soon as you see him, yeah. my my heart just sunk. But so it's like, not oh. really hundred percent Bobby's fault, but you know, no, oh no, she's but you know that when you get to that part of her life, you know the end is soon to come. It, yeah, you know that you're like, oh man, we're yeah. at the point where it's gonna start dovetailing out of control yeah, and some of and huge props to kevin mcdonald and just whoever was working the footage because the archival candid yeah. video footage they have yes they have all the music videos and the super bowl performances the multiple like they had to have hours and hours of just yeah. candid video where it is like whitney in her dressing room yeah. getting ready whitney just talking to when this backstage on wardrobe trains yeah talking to this woman who was yeah. always around who is the one filming yeah these and it's like okay so that person that we are talking about that we are alluding to is not in the final movie it's probably a choice obviously maybe person didn't feel comfortable but at some point like she had to give them the footage so just but that type of candid video is just something that again was lacking in won't you be my neighbor to kind of compare it again to a documentary only because it was a different time like that was when camcorders were easily accessible and of course everybody had one uh but that was that was incredible uh, what else did I write down? Oh, what was interesting also is listening to her family mm-hmm. being like, once they got together, once her and Bobby got together, that was the exact type of guy that her mom, Sissy Houston, had been keeping away from Whitney her entire life. Yeah. Because they grew up in the projects. They grew up rough. Sissy knew what type of guys were around. And she was like, no, you're going to go to a private school. Yeah. You're going to do this and this. And then she meets Bobby. And then it was just, yeah, that was what they'd been trying to avoid uh my criticism of the documentary all of the interviews mm-hmm. not uh, 99% of the interviews had the same backdrop yeah. and that was another choice but it almost felt like a vh1 true hollywood story versus other documentaries where they're interviewing people at different locations different times it feels more organic that way this one it felt like they just brought everybody in to the studio which of course they did not just for logistics purposes probably but like it, every interview you saw had the same backdrop, the yeah. same kind of tone. 
that was just a little bit. Oh, it didn't bother me at all. It, it did not bother me. It was just, it was an interesting choice. Yeah. And I prefer a different style yeah. of documentary filmmaking. Yeah, I didn't care. I, I didn't really, I mean, the interviews itself, I was more interested with the content than how it was presented and how it fit in with the narrative story we were watching mm-hmm. with her life through her the archival footage and, and performances and videos. To me, that was way more important, like what these people had to say yeah. than like what- How it was presented. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was one clip that they showed where it was like another kind of backstage-ish type clip after one of her performances when she was younger. She was talking to, um, I think, Bobby Christina, mm-hmm. her daughter, and she is standing up and singing mm-hmm. and kneels down and continues to sing without any change in vocal inflection. Do you know mm-hmm. how hard it is yeah. to sing while kneeling or sitting or like... Yeah. She's a talent, man. Like once I forget who said it in the documentary, more than one probably, but that voice mm-hmm. will never like. There's something about that voice. Like she, we could talk about you know who is the best live performer of our generation vocally. Mm-hmm. After especially after watching this and reminding myself just how incredible she was, mm-hmm. Whitney Houston has one of the best voices, if not the best voice of our generation. Yeah. Because all she needed, like you mentioned, was a microphone and a spotlight. That was it. And that was something and <laughs> that was something people were not doing back then. Studios no. were not like, wait, you just mm, you need a band, but they're behind a Backup screen. Backup dancers, bands, mm-hmm. um, all kind of other stuff. The shade. Yeah. To Janet Jackson and, and Paula Jenna Abdul. Which <laughs> my favorite one of my favorite parts. It's so cause it's such a natural conversation. It is I mean and the conversation you know happens with these, some of these artists. hundred percent. Nineteen ninety three to ninety five, like yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, I think it was just it was this is another movie though. This is harsh. Like it even though we knew what was coming, seeing the footage of Bobby and Whitney when they're getting ready for a show and she does, she's doing the Coke sniff and yeah. she is so twitchy and she is like 95 pounds, like was physically painful to watch. It's, it's, it's very, very sad, especially when, you know, she comes out cause no one has really seen her. She's mm-hmm. been drugging and living in hotels, which we find out from the A&R who gives an interview mm-hmm. as she's trying to make this album, but she finally makes a public appearance and it's for this Michael Jackson oh, tribute gosh. they're doing for BT and she looks terrible. Yeah. And you're just like, man, she and she cannot you're watching sing. this footage, she can't sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that forced her to do the Diane Sawyer interview. The legendary Diane Sawyer interview. It's uh, a train wreck. It's that kind of stuff where you're like, oh, this is all. It's just very, very sad. It's yeah. sad in a way that you understood that she was someone who lived, who was such a talent and lived a great life and had this very low, low. And just as she's starting to sort of pull herself out, it's over. Yeah. And yeah. they, they do touch on Bobby Christina, not very much, yeah. uh, but enough t- enough for just like that. That poor girl just had no chance. Yeah. With the, with those two parents, with Bobby and Whitney. It's that kind of lifestyle. Being on the road is like, and someone says it like, being on the road is just not a real place to raise a child. No. Not when you are around all of vice. Not even ever. just that. You're just on the road. Yeah. Even if there's no vice, you're a child growing up on the road. With yeah. your parents. It's just not, you don't really have a chance for a childhood. You're not around other, any other kids. Mm-hmm. You're not learning. You're not in school. All those th- all those lessons we learn during those ages, you're just not getting them. And you're around a bunch of adults, so you're learning how to be an adult at a very young age, which is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it was this, this this movie was harsh, especially for those who grew it. Like this was our <laughs> time frame. Like Whitney is kind of the soundtrack yeah. to our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will always remind me of my oldest sister. Like yeah. it just you know it was there. So uh, yeah, it is. I think yeah, nationwide this Friday. This Friday, yeah. So rating system: good, bad, or ugly. Tim, what do you give Whitney? Um, I give it a good. It's good, really good, very well done. Sad, but yep. but also very, very, very well done. Yeah, same. Uh, I give it a good. We were wondering if anything would compete with "Won't You Be My Neighbor" for best documentary. This is solid. It still is not going to beat it, mm-hmm. but this is really solid, and I'm pretty sure this is going to keep getting talked about for the next few months. Yeah, like for sure. oof, it just is hard. Yeah. So hard. It's sad. It's 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 a fun watch. You know, it just is very, very, very. It is sad fun ending. in the beginning when you are like watching all yeah. these performances you remember watching as a kid, and yeah. then it's just a sad. Ending. Once the shoe starts to drop, then yeah. it's just yeah, it is brutal. But yeah, so definitely two goods uh, for Whitney. Incredible movie. Uh, next one, totally switching gears uh, to another double feature that I did uh, last week: Ant Man and the Wasp. So Ant Man the Wasp picks up. Uh, I want to say, is it? Two years after uh, Civil War, because he is on house arrest. Uh, Paul Rudd, as mm-hmm. Scott Lang, is on house arrest. And I think it is he has been on there for two years. Uh, yeah, actually, that would, that would line up with kind of the release uh, with Infinity War and everything. So Paul Rudd is on house arrest. Mm-hmm. The last few days of his house arrest, he is hanging out with his daughter, trying not to go stir crazy mm-hmm. uh, with everything going on. And then, of course... Calamity uh, happens because enter Hope Van Dyne and Hank Pym, who are trying to rescue Michelle Pfeiffer. But that's because he had a dream about her. Yes. Oh, and we we kind of figure out why. He he, contacts them and says, hey, I had a dream. This thing mm -hmm. happened. So they are like, maybe she's still alive. So then that's when they contact him, even though he's supposed to have no contact with them. Nope. Uh, And that was pretty cool. Like he, you know, has a phone, you know, behind his wall. Uh, so yeah, the, like the goal is basically to find if out, find out if Michelle Pfeiffer, who was mentioned in the first one, the original Wasp, mm-hmm. is still alive, and if she is, how do they get her back? Mm-hmm. Through that, we get introduced to characters like Ghost. Uh, I forget her name. Who plays her? Uh, Hannah John something. I really like that actress. Yeah, uh, she reminds me. A little bit of blady legs, and the sense where it is like it is these young actresses who are can be legitimate action. Yeah, she's good stars. Like it, you, it she, is believable. She, I mean, we saw her recently in um, uh, Ready Player One. Was that? She, oh yeah, she was the sort of the muscle for the bad guy, right? And she was also in Black Mirror. Yes, yes, she was. Playtest episode. Yeah, yeah. So she, yeah, Ready Player One, Black Mirror, Killjoys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so I definitely like her. So her character Wait, Ghost. Her you didn't give her full name. Oh, Hannah John Kamen. Hannah John Kamen. Yeah, that's right. Uh, her character, for reasons that get developed in the film, is also trying to get to the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. The same with Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne, for her own reasons. All right. We get introduced to Lawrence Fishburne, mm-hmm. the deep comic book nerd in me. When I knew that he was cast in this, and I saw a clip when he talks about, you know, Goliath, mm-hmm. you know, the Goliath project, yeah, 
I really wanted to see the blue and yellow suit that Black Goliath mm -hmm. used to wear. That did not happen, no. but that is okay. Not yet. Uh, this movie, compared to the other Marvel movies, this one is funny. Like, actually funny. A lot of the Marvel movies are dramas for a reason. You know, they're trying to tell these intense stories. This is not as funny as, like, Thor Ragnarok, which was just out of the park hilarious. Mm -hmm. But this one finds a way to balance more humor than the drama of yeah. a lot of the MCU. Uh, yeah. Michael Pena <laughs> returns as part of uh, Scott Link's company, X-Con, mm -hmm. with T.I. and oh, who was the the Baba Yaga yeah. guy? <laughs> yeah, the Baba Yaga. <laughs> like, that is the thing is the supporting cast in this mm -hmm. is really strong. And that is, again, something that with the Marvel movies, as oh. great as they are, a lot of the supporting cast just kind of slips by, just mm -hmm. goes to the wayside. Everybody gets moments yeah. in this movie. Everybody gets to shine, especially mm -hmm. the X-Con guys. Mm -hmm. They do a smart thing with T.I. in that they give him about seven lines throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Not a lot of dialogue. No. Yeah. But it works. Yeah, it, it, it works. works for that character. It's much like how they did Rihanna in Ocean's 8. Just like they should, because mm -hmm. she is not an actress. Uh, one thing I, I enjoyed about this, and we talked about this with Incredibles 2 a couple weeks ago, what I want to see in these movies is the efficiency and grace of the people with powers fully comfortable in their power set. Mm -hmm. The wasp in this is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like Evangeline Lilly did remind me of like Elastigirl mm -hmm. where her speed and power, like she knows exactly what she can do. And especially back in the day with these comic books, everything was Captain Exposition. Every time he would shrink down to a certain level, it would be like, my legs feel like this. And if I walk like this in this area, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Then when he would go giant, when I move like, and it was just like, D stop, mm -hmm. just be comfortable in your power set without needing to explain it all the time. Mm -hmm. Evangeline Lily as the wasp is kicking butt all over the movie. Just naturally. Well, that's easy to do because it's not, this is all digital, much like Incredibles. Yeah, it's easy to do when you're not having to physically do it. Like mm -hmm. Iron Fist can't do that. Well, Danny Rand, but he can't. Yeah, true. <laughs> but if he, if there's some way you could either mask him or make it mm -hmm. digital, I'm sure you could. Yeah, I mean there are moments, uh, and I think it was in one of the trailers where, like, she kind of drops into this car, she yeah. fights some people in the back seat, swings around yeah. outside, kicks the person in the driver's seat, and all of it is happening with the speed that you would think would happen, quote unquote in the real world right so seeing that type of power set was awesome the graphics in this like the shrinking effects everything looks solid like everything is yeah. just going towards such a point where these are they just they feel real which is weird to say about these crazy elaborate yeah. comic book movies. they do a good job of um, making these things the powers they use feel very grounded in like a real world sense mm -hmm. how would you actually use this if you were yeah big or if you were really tiny like what are some things you could do um and also uh um mike uh what's the name shows up in it as the bad guy uh what am i spacing on his name uh, uh michael pena no that's the first pena. one um what am i spacing on his name i mean michael douglas nope. Lawrence fishburne nope uh who was it are you looking at it are you looking at the IMDb? yeah he's, he's on the imdb 
Uh, but, but I know Jess will be happy because Bobby Cannavale nope, is also not, in this. That's not going to make her happy. Uh, she, she likes Bobby no. Cannavale. I know who's going to make her happy who's in this movie. Keep looking. You're looking at the yeah. list. Why are you not looking at the I list? <laughs> I just went into like my mental window. Why are you not looking at the list? In the corner of the room. Oh, right. He plays Sonny. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we will not spoil it. Cause I think you can say who's in it. You can say who he is. Oh yeah, yeah. So Walton Walton Goggins. Yeah. One of Jess's favorite character actors. Yeah. He's one of mine. He's great. Walton Goggins shows up and he he gets to be funny and be Walton Goggins. <laughs> Which, um, what being Walton Goggins means being funny, but also he can look at the camera in a certain way and you're like, "Get yeah. this dude is terrifying." Right, right. And you know, much like you know, he was a villain in Justified. He's able to be a villain in this and be sort of the the suit but like the likable villain almost when yeah. it is like oh okay sure yeah. he's, he's got a job he's doing mm-hmm. um, yeah he's like a, a some crazy Te- bad tech dealer yeah uh yeah so it's great he's got a bunch of faceless goons who run around him <laughs> truth serum yeah those guys are funny yeah and that is the thing is like even his random goons yeah get moments they're funny yeah, it's just, it's a fun family comedy. I was sitting next to Aaron Hundley and she was saying like, it's, after the movie's over, she was saying like, it's out of all the Marvel movies, it's the one that's most family friendly. Yeah. Because it, it is violent. I am saying that like, there's a lot of action. A lot of people yeah. are getting thrown, punched, kicked. Yeah. At the end of it, all we were all just kind of standing there talking. I'm not sure if I saw any blood. No. Like at one point you see uh, Michael Douglas with like yeah. a black eye because I was in the past, whatever. Yeah. But people are getting thrown through buildings and right. cars and everything, and yeah, you just you do not see the blood. So in that respect, yeah, this is the, probably the most the most family friendly. Yeah, definitely, definitely a switching of tones after Infinity War. <laughs> yeah, and so th- there are two post credit scenes, uh, one of which deals with kind of the aftermath because that was a big question with this yeah. movie. They were like, "Wait, when does this movie take place? How is yeah. how are we going to have this like fun little heist movie?" Uh, well, we find out when Thanos is showing up. Yeah. So we find out in the mid credit scene. You're hearing it, you know, here first. It is not worth staying around to the post post credit scene. No. It was pointless. And spoiler alert, is not one of the trailers. Yeah, it is one of the trailers. So that just bothered me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is a there is some script after that but it is also pointless yeah so for sure. well yeah the first one you know is is a bridge into infinity war mm-hmm. part two and yeah some, and, this, and some of the dialogue that they have about what's what's happening and mm-hmm. then, yeah it's great and so i liked that i liked that where, where they went kind of physically in the movie with the quantum realm yeah. could have a lot of repercussions uh, uh they, it does well i know but i'm it's legitimately going to yeah yeah so they mentioned they name drop some very specific things. It's like, oh, yeah, it does. If okay. you've been following these movies, you, we know what happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how they explain it and how they pull it off would be fun to watch. But I, you know, if you've been keeping up with these films, and I'm sure we'll find out at some point, there'll be some teaser trailer for the movie because it's out next year. Mm-hmm. Maybe at Comic Con, maybe somewhere else. Yeah, um, and I think unlike the first Ant Man, this one feels more a part of the MCU. The first Ant-Man, I, f- I feel like it was more of, we need to introduce these characters, here's a, here's a solid movie, but it, it felt a little bit disjointed from the rest. Mm-hmm. This one, definitely, whether it is through references, through people talking about it, yeah. you know, they talk about Germany yeah. all the time in some really funny ways, it truly feels connected. Yeah, yeah, it's good. 
It, so. But it also still feels like its own thing. It doesn't feel yeah. like it has to be. It, <laughs> that was one of the things. So Sarah, mm-hmm. one of their local film critics, uh, moviefreaksarah.com, she talked about how she hates a lot of the Marvel movies because they feel like commercials. Mm-hmm. When all it is just set up for the next thing. This was a setup, but also a, a solid movie. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, official rating for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Go for it. It's good. It's good, man. It's a lot of fun. If you like Ant-Man, I was with my friend and his son yesterday, and Ant-Man is his favorite Avenger. Really? Yeah. So he's, I think because it's, it's fun. It's a fun, he's like seven, six. See, and those are things so that I like hearing because just like with Guardians of the Galaxy and mm-hmm. things like that, I knew about them and other comic book geeks knew about mm-hmm. them. Nobody cared about Ant-Man. Yeah. They turned Ant-Man into a fun character. So, so yeah. So, yeah, nice. it was good. Uh, I totally agree. This is also good. Continues the path of Marvel in a slightly different direction, in a different tone. Uh, it is not the hyper-violent, you know, other movies. Uh, but yeah, solid movie, so I gave it a good. Next on the docket, the second comedy yeah. of the day, mm-hmm. Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> Based on a Pepsi ad from like 2012, right. uh, where uh, NBA all-star point guard NBA champion Kyrie Irving was respect on his name donned some makeup and prosthetics to play an old man named Uncle Drew who would show up at basketball courts and people would think he was old and then he would you know but it's Kyrie Irving so Mm -hmm. he would you know get buckets on him Uh, so yeah so it's a movie about uh, a coach played by Laurel Howery who is gave up his life savings to enter a team into the Rucker his sort of ringer for the team is a young star star named Casper played by Aaron Gordon mm-hmm. and then slam dunk champion, slam dunk Aaron, champion Gordon. Aaron Gordon two times slam dunk champion oh yeah he did um, yeah. but then uh, rival coach Mookie played by Nick Kroll <laughs> steals his it. team <laughs> and so now uh, and his girlfriend mm-hmm. played by Tiffany Haddish now um, Dax has to go find another team so he stumbles upon the legend of Uncle Drew mm-hmm. who can still play and, uh, legendary old, street baller old record legend and uh, so then they're, he's tasked with putting together Drew's old teammates, played by Shaq, plays Big Fella, mm-hmm. Preacher, played by um, Chris Webber. Chris Webber. And uh, Lights, Lights, Reggie Miller. Miller and Boots, Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson. Uh, so yeah, so it's just, a, I mean, most of the film was really just a road trip of them picking up the guys and traveling. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the end of the film is the big tournament. Oh, Shaq, also Shaq, Big Fella. Yeah, Shaq plays Big Fella, yeah. Which... <laughs> And one of the things that I said about this movie when we, when we were talking about it after, <clears throat> if you were to tell somebody just to go see a comedy movie and see mm-hmm. this and they did not know everybody behind the makeup, they might still, you know, kind of see through some of it, but it was still funny enough and a solid enough movie, except for Shaq. Shaq, you can put 10 pounds of makeup on this guy. Mm-hmm. He is seven five and like 400 pounds. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these guys are easy to notice, whether it be Shaq or Lisa Leslie, yeah. um, Reggie Miller. Uh, but I thought Chris Webber was surprisingly really funny. <laughs> yep. Kyrie was legitimately solid. I didn't feel like I was watching Kyrie Irving. I yeah. like I was watching an old dude named Uncle Drew. Mm-hmm. And Nick Kroll was ridiculous. And the kind of ridiculous you need <laughs> for that kind of movie. Where he just Nick Kroll was phenomenal yeah. in this. Well, when I was talking to Chris Lambert about it, he was saying, like, it's legitimately a heartwarming film. Like, legit. Like oh, he said that he was like he compared he was like won't you be my neighbor and Uncle Drew are tied for the most heartwarming movies of the year very heartwarming yeah. film just a, a touching film about the love of basketball and family and friendship mm-hmm. this this sort of like wrapped with all these ridiculous jokes and 
physical humor and funny, like very sort of deep cut basketball jokes <sighs> that I'm not sure some people got. There's a funny I think, joke I think people going end. into this movie, the people who want to see this movie are going to catch all of this. I don't know if they will. Okay. How does the, how ti- the my, timeout thing? Yeah, my uncle doesn't get, my nephew doesn't get that. Oh, okay. He won't yeah. get that joke. Yeah, fair. There's a certain demographic that's definitely going to get that joke. Us. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's not going to get it. He, but he likes Kyrie. He loves your mm-hmm. shoes. He likes silly, funny, goofy, over-the-top um, comedies. But mm-hmm. he, there's jokes he just wouldn't get. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they made a feature-length movie based off of a commercial. Yeah. And it was a solid movie. A solid film. Like, that says something. Let me uh, look up who the... Uh, the director's Charles Stone the Third. Yeah. Uh, oh, he did Drumline. Okay. Yeah. I love Drumline. Uh, yeah, he did a good job. I mean, Paid in Full, Mister Three Thousand. Yeah. You okay. essentially have Paid in Full as a classic. Yeah. You essentially have all these characters, and then you have Little Rail being the sort of the comedic person who sort of sews these bits together and sort of mm-hmm. fills in the hole. So it works. He's Little Rail is talented enough. Yeah. To do that, and you have someone like Kyrie. Who's just constantly in character the whole time? Mm-hmm. Who never really breaks character, and so that's sort of the vehicle for the film, and it worked. It worked for that film specifically. Yeah, and I think that it was smart, very smart of them to have somebody like Lil Rel be the focal point that the other people can react to. Yeah, because Lil Rel legitimately is a solid actor. Yeah, so he knows how to act. If he can rely on the other people to react to him. Yeah, he gets to be the straight man mm-hmm. and, and sort of comment on all the ridiculousness that's happening around him between like, you know, whether it be preacher dunking a baby during a baptism oh my God. or, <laughs> you know, uh, the boom, boom room in the van mm-hmm. or no, you know. sho- no shoes in the boom, boom yeah. room <laughs> or, you know, but, you know, there's, there's those touching moments throughout the film, the ending, you know, it's predictable how it's going to end. hundred percent. But it's still funny. Yeah. And this is one that's still really funny. Watching it with the crowd, like this was a full theater versus some of the other screenings we yeah. go to. This is packed. Packed. I highly recommend if you're going to see this in the theater, like that I think would help the experience because yeah. hearing the reactions, uh there's a scene in the end that anybody who has watched any sports movie knows what knows what yeah. type of scene is going to happen in the end. Yeah. But they add an additional like two or three seconds onto it. Yeah. And that two or three seconds, I started hearing everybody around me be like, oh, he better not. Yeah, like, yeah. He be- like, and you hear that yeah. going on and then, then you get the, the family, moment happens. Yeah. But I was just, I was really impressed with the performances from basketball players yeah. in this role. Like, and again, a lot of them are not given a lot to Nate Robinson. No lines. I think, got like one I think line. he has like one or two lines. Uh, but it's still a good performance. Yeah, exactly. It still works. His storyline, quote unquote, was the least believable out of all of them in all of these unbelievable storylines. Because like, the shoes, and then suddenly everything is fine. It wasn't the shoes. It was the memory, it was the place, it was the people. It was the level of basketball. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, he was solid. Yeah. But you're, you're totally right. Chris Webber, yeah. st- I would see a movie, a Chris Webber preacher movie. Yeah. A Chris Webber and Lisa Leslie. Yeah, there's a couple. couple like, Lisa, and Lisa Leslie crushed it. Yeah, she was good. Like it was just that was one of the funniest running jokes was her being a sort of obsessive wife and following mm-hmm. her husband around. It was really fun. Yeah. Uh, this does have one of my favorite things that I talk about with any of these comedies. Yeah, fantastic blooper reel. Yeah, really good blooper reel at the end. Because during you know 
when you watch certain comedies, just like with Tag, I really wish they had put it in there. With certain comedies, you know that that had to take 15 minutes to film a two-minute scene. Yeah. Especially with, like, Nick Kroll and Lil Rel, some of their interactions. Yeah. I was dying. Yeah, when they meet together on the basketball court. Dying. Yeah. But even little stuff, like when, when Shaq, when someone's gunning, he says, pass the ball, Kobe. Yep. Pretty sure that was improvised. I would not I be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was improvised. From Shaq. It was I would really funny. <laughs> and I could see everyone on set cracking up, but it made the film because it was a really funny moment. Mm-hmm. He's able to take a shot at Kobe in this ridiculous makeup and hair he's wearing <laughs> and thick super thick wolverine eyebrows mm-hmm. nate yeah. robinson with his frederick Douglass yeah. hair yeah really but they fun. also like in the credits they also show some of the makeup yeah, effects they show like, them getting makeup on yeah that was solidly like, yeah so i no, then that's the fun the poster makes it look a lot more ridiculous than it actually is true this, this is a sports movie a heartfelt sports movie in the same vein as a rudy yeah. in the same vein as a hoosiers yeah they just take a comedic approach to it, but same kind that, of movie. Yeah, like that that sports movie that you and I yeah. both love. That like those are what make me mm-hmm. get the feels. Like you cry in one of those moments, or you're like, ah, it's not as like serious and deep as Remember the Titans. Oh, no, but, oh god, but it has a moment or two where you're like, man, that is really touching and sweet. Yeah, and yeah, Tiffany Haddish. She's being Tiffany, Haddish, um. but <laughs> she's as Chris said, she's Tiffany Haddish in the roll up. Absolutely. But she, but it is absolutely perfect for the character she's yep. playing. It fits. Mm-hmm. She it's gets like a, a really shopaholic. she gets a really funny post credit scene. Oh, she does. Or like mid credit yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, she's good. Yeah, well, she's making those phone calls. <laughs> it just, it's really funny. It, it who is, else? Who else is that? That's the other thing. Like that the, believable. The kind of humor it is. It's very self deprecating for a lot of people. And you've gotten and and Chris was saying this is so true. Like Nick Kroll is the kind of guy who would do that. He's like, what I gotta do? I gotta wear a stupid outfit and bug my eyes out my head and act crazy Have and seven tattoos, yeah, seven tattoos on, on my stomach. Yeah, he, but he's the kind of comic who would do that a hundred percent and be yep. like, oh yeah, this, and, this, this, and give it a hundred percent, give it a hundred and make it believable. And yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, he was really he he was so funny in that. I like Nick Kroll's funny man. That was good stuff. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, so I mean, as you can probably tell, yeah. uh, how we feel about it. But official rating, it's good, man. It's a good family comedy. If you need something to take your kids to, mm-hmm. who just want to be entertained for two hours, it is perfect. And it really like there were only a couple, not even inappropriate jokes, but a couple more adult yeah. type jokes. The kids some, may not pick up. Oh, like on, some but of the adults are like, <laughs> All right, yeah, some of the kids that. are just not gonna you know catch it there was a baby in the theater that we there saw was this. a baby in the theater leave your babies at home people <laughs> right and like this was not a toddler like three or four like, like a, baby. a baby and at one point like a fresh one they pick up the baby and like to like put it on on their lap to like stand up and like watch the movie and i'm like what are you doing maybe the baby loves loves uh some Kyrie. i don't know <sighs> who knows <laughs> that was kind of weird uh but yeah my my official rating is is good as well a true heartfelt comedy. Yeah, not not to be in the Kyrie fan club, but have you heard the soundtrack? Uh, I don't, no, I only I listened to the ending, like the credits, and you were like, "Oh, this Kyrie." And I was like, "Wait, yeah. what?" Legitimately singing the song. It's pretty funny. So he has an album? No, it's a soundtrack oh, okay. for the film, but he has a song on there. Yeah, like I was it's like a ninety sort of like yeah. New Jack Swing. I was I was digging it, and then you told me who it was, and I was like, "It's Kyrie." Okay. There's video footage of him in the studio doing it. It's really funny. He's he's a talented young man. Okay. He believes the earth is flat, but he's very talented. Oh, I forgot about that. Heck, he's a flat mm. earther. I don't know if he's real honest about it or he's just trolling, but yeah. Mm. Him yeah. and B.O.B. B.O.B. is serious. B- oh, 
<laughs> too much weed. Apparently. Strange clouds. Yeah. I'm just like, okay. When you try and go after Neil deGrasse Tyson, of yeah. all people, like, no, bruh, you okay. need to calm down. Uh, cool. So yeah, Uncle Drew, two goods. Solid, just family comedy movie. Really funny. Uh, the last movie review, last feature-length movie that we saw in the theater last week. Uh, again, <laughs> switching gears 100%. Complete 180. Uh, it's Sicario, Day of the Soldado, the sequel to Sicario from... Yeah, don't bring your baby to this. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, sequel to a movie that came out a couple years ago. Yeah. One of my favorites. Nominated for an Oscar. Denny Villeneuve directed it. Well done. Totally different production team for this movie. Yeah, completely like, Pretty movie. much the only person who stayed was Taylor Sheridan, yeah. the writer. Other than that, the director's different, the cinematographer's different. Mm-hmm. Like They just they kind of went different direction. Josh Brolin is back. Benicio Del Toro is back. Alejandro. Uh... Those are the only two. Oh, and uh, my guy from Burn Notice. Um, what is his name? <laughs> I can't believe you watched Burn Notice. I loved Burn Notice. <laughs> it ended years ago. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. Um, where uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, but yeah, guy from Burn Notice. He was great. Burn Notice guy. Yeah, okay. Burn Notice guy. Burn Notice. So, guy. whereas the first Sicario had to deal with again the U.S. Mexico border, Texas Mexico border <laughs> in specific. <laughs> And the gangs that were going on, the killings that were going on, drugs and all of these things. So you have Josh Brolin and his ragtag group of government, con- military contractors mm-hmm. uh, that go in and solve these problems where nobody else can. I don't even know if they're solving problems, to be honest. <laughs> True. <laughs> this one, they're there to cause a problem. Yep. <laughs> and they're there to, in- in- yeah, to incite a gang war for these people that are smuggling immigrants over the border and all these yeah it, it goes from there uh first mm-hmm. cinematography stunning mm-hmm. uh i would say not as good as the first one mainly because the first one did some really cool stuff with sunsets sunset photography night vision this one was a lot more safe in that regard mm-hmm. but it was shot beautifully performances were all solid uh we are also introduced to a new cast member uh, what is her Isabel Mon Moner Moner Moner? Yes, uh, Isabel uh, Moner Moner M O N E R. She's good, man. That looks she, great. Like, so she, uh, oh gosh, she was born in two thousand one. Yeah, uh, she's like a, she's a kid. Like that just yeah, that yeah. Crazy. Of course she's born in two thousand one. She's a child. Her performance. Yeah, she plays the the daughter of one of the drug lords mm-hmm. or gang gang lords, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh. She has these moments where she will go from kind of innocent victim and mm-hmm. all of this and the world is happening around her and she's trying to make her way through to within two seconds change her whole face into this steely eyed resistance mm-hmm. that was tremendous, especially for a she's young actress. a lot of face acting. A lot of it, which, hey, play to your strengths. Yeah. Like, she's really good. She doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Yeah. She's really, really compelling. She reminded me a lot of the young girl that was in um, um, Logan. Yeah, absolutely. Not a lot of dialogue, but like told a lot a of hell of a, did performance. a lot of storytelling through her physical performances. Yeah, mm-hmm. very similar. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, great performances overall. My issues. Oh, go for with, issue. with the movie. <laughs> the the rah rah America. Literally every brown person in this movie is a terrorist. 
I mean, here's the thing. We had this conversation, having this conversation on Twitter the other day with Aaron White. We were having, and me and Chris Lambert talked about this too. Mm-hmm. My concern isn't that that's in the film. Mm-hmm. Like it's you can this is your film. You can put what you want in your film. Right. However, <laughs> uh, with our current state of politics mm-hmm. and, and what I was saying to Aaron was like, we literally have an administration that is locking up children in cages based on the imagery that's portrayed in this film. Yeah, on on right? this exact Th- this exact fear. idea, which when you look at it, it's just art seems to be fine. Mm-hmm. But in, in in a larger context, yeah, I could see being. A, a brown person and watch this and being like bruh we're we're literally fighting for our lives we have people running up on me telling yep. me they're gonna call ice on me my kids are being harassed in schools and this movie is out perpetuating this thing yeah. to be a truth because the real story not this isn't the move what the movie's trying to tell right but the right. real story in real life is these people who are crossing the border and mm-hmm. why are they coming here and what are they running from like that's the real story. And like, when, why are people risking their lives to come here? What's happening where you feel like mm-hmm. I might get locked up, I might get shot. I'm I'm giving you a thousand dollars for the chance for the chance to get like what am I what am I paying a thousand dollars to get yeah. away from when I don't have money? Which, like what am I doing? And <laughs> to me, that's that's the real meat of the story. But this right. movie is a different. There's not telling that story. No, but you know, much like uh, you know. Uh, what's the name? Was it Willie Hutch? The the that the whole three strikes thing that they this guy became the poster board for criminals who break out and if you don't have three strikes and Mm-mm. this guy's got it's just a revolving door and, he's, and it was they ran on this dude this black dude right I'm forgetting his name God forgive me but they were running on we had a lot of politicians running on this guy as being the poster child for if we don't lock up these brown people they're gonna come out and reoffend and it allowed them to pass these laws. Yeah. And this guy was the exception and not the rule, but mm-hmm. allowed people, legitimate, God-fearing people to right. go to the voting booth and vote for what they felt their fear was. And yep. much like what we're seeing now where every Mexican that comes here is MS-13. Yep. You got people on Twitter Dude, saying, uh, like, look at these. MS-, and they're not. They're just kids. They're, they're kids, kids in the airport. They're kids in the wearing airport. Wearing the same stuff because that was the clothing they were given. Kids in the airport. But again, like, <laughs> that's what's dangerous about these ideas. Yep. And if... If I'm a, a a straight Christian white man, I can go I can go to the theater. Josh Brolin's not a good character, right? But I can go to the theater and go see six other movies with different depictions of white men: mm-hmm. heroes, villains, yep, scientists, Everything. football players, love interest. doctors, <laughs> love interests, gay, whatever. I can see whatever in the theater, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm a Mexican or Mexican American, I've got Sicario. And then I gotta go back to Coco, an animated film, yeah. right? You know what I'm saying? So, so having these negative depictions on on his face isn't terrible, but when framed with the fact that there aren't very few representations mm-hmm. of Mexicans on our, in our cinemas, and what's happening right now, it yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's not, and it's not, and it's okay to say you can still enjoy the art, but understand how dangerous it, is. it reminds me of how much we, we both like fans of hip hop music. Yep, love it. Mm-hmm. I understand. How powerful it is. When I was in Ghana and they were writing Jay-Z lyrics on the board, chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. So what does that tell you? Mm-hmm. Do we think it's entertainment and it's fun for us? But there are people who are taking it a whole different way. When I was in, when I was in, in 14, when I was 14, I, I moved from Sacramento to Vancouver, Washington. There were so many people I met. <laughs> Culture shock. <laughs> who only knew about black people through entertainment. Mm-hmm. Despite the black people who lived around them, there was no yep. real investment in who they were as people. They took all their cues from television. And that was their starting point. Mm-hmm. People feared me. 
They mm-hmm. feared you. You know me. They feared me because <laughs> they said I was in a gang. No matter what, I I was reading yep. Ninja Turtles comic books. Mm-hmm. I was talking about X Men. Right. I was minding my business, and people were, were legit scared of me. People. Four Did you times have my, straight backs? People. I didn't have any braids. <laughs> You did have braids at one point. I did. That was much later in my life. Mm. Um, but people twice my size legitimately were afraid because they said, I'm for sure in the gang. In for Vancouver, sure. Washington. I was for sure ganged Connected. up. I right. was, it was going to go. And, I, I, and it, it used to baffle me. But as I've gotten older, I realized the power of media. And yeah. so, uh, real quick before we move on, I remember watching, we watched... Uh, well, some Tom Cruise movie, um, the one, the one where he plays based on a novel, where he plays, he plays this guy. Anyway, Jack Ryan, Jack, Jack Reacher, Ryan, Jack Reacher. Yeah. It's the first Jack Reacher, right? I was like, almost so everything. So we screened it. It was right. It was short. Sometime after, and I'm sure these other Seattle critics will remember. It was sometime after one of these mass shootings, right? Mm. There's a scene in Jack Reacher at the very beginning where the shooter posts up in a parking gar- lot, parking garage, right. shoots all these people, and I remember being like, "Yo, yeah. we kind of just had one of these things happen." It was jarring to watch. Yeah. And the same is said for this, right? We've got these images on television of kids in cages based on this uh, idea that all these brown people, because here's the thing, immigration laws affect everybody, right? Yep. But the face of it is brown people and gangs and violence. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the Russian gangs. We're not talking about East African gangs. We're not talking about yeah. any of that other kind of crime. We're talking about Mexicans from Mexico mm-hmm. coming over here. So when when that's the face you put on it and it's all this negativity attached, would you then see a movie that reinforces it? It's jarring for me. Yeah. It which is why for like real. it was it was hard it was hard to distance myself from the art yeah. in this. And to see it, okay, this is a, a movie, this is a drama, just trying to tell a story. I I kept trying to give it the benefit of the doubt because I liked the first Sicario. But the brown panic yeah, it's that a real this thing. movie perpetuates, it it was offensive. There at one point, not connected to almost anything, they capture a Somalian guy. Yeah. And they joke about waterboarding him. And like, oh, we only waterboard when we can't get answers. Yeah. Or no, we only get, we only waterboard it when we can't torture. Yeah. And it was like, wait, this is part, like, what? The, the real terrorist threat is these white nationalists who show up and shoot people. Like the shooting right? we had at the Gazette. Like... So it's Nazis marching in our street. That's the real and trying legit. trying to get that movie made. Yeah, trying to get the movie where it's Try, like, like all these brown people are fighting against the Nazis, which is something that we've done already as a country. Uh, which you know, my my family members fought in, but mm-hmm. also it's something where happens happening right now. But that's not a movie that's going to get made. Nope. There's something the fear of black and brown people will always sell. It sells guns. Yep. It sells movies. It sells elections. Seriously, you know what I'm saying? It sells. It, it fills the prisons. The the fear of it. Yeah. The the fear of that. The fear. The hypothetical. What if these brown people are dangerous? Is more important than the actual danger of white nationalists watching our streets, shooting people, yep. running over people with cars, trying to plan terrorist attacks. One of those groups does not have super PACs and yeah. a bunch of money and investments. Yeah. Hmm. But, Interesting. But, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like that's. Yeah. But that that I think a movie like that sell the, the imagery of that sells and it's and it's not even specific to what's happening right now with our mexicans brothers and sisters and mexican americans mm-hmm. in the 80s a lot of our films had russian bad guys because we were in the cold war so there's a ton yep. of film whether it be Drago, rocky four yeah. <laughs> whatever there's a whole film about the russians invade the u.s and they drop in wolverines yeah. and there was there there was <laughs> Two place in spokane right right yeah but there's still but there was it, 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 very much me and my friend Simber talked about this yesterday 
there's it was the certain it was like a type of russian right it was very straight Mm -hmm. very robotic Mm -hmm. not a lot of emotion very machine like like drago's using steroids which 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 was you know a a throwback to the the steroid scandal the russian olympic team had Mm -hmm. so but it made sense because those were quote unquote our enemies as a country right so fast forward to late 90s early 2000s we get a lot of muslim you know we're coming out of the gulf war mm-hmm. the persian gulf war so there's a lot of very broad stroked i pray to allah i wear a head wrap mm-hmm. i look vaguely ethnic in a way i have dark skin and a beard and right. a prayer rug so i'm and i'm the bad guy because i'm brown and i just want i want a nuclear weapon to destroy the world of course i yeah. want to take on the infidels yeah i want to kill the, all the, the americans, americans yeah. these innocent american people but that was in our culture because that's what we were doing. That was the message we were sending. It's the right. same thing that, that the Nazis did with their imagery in their film. Mm-hmm. They use it as propaganda and it hasn't stopped. But now we know what's happening. We're very much aware. And now here we come again with yep. these evil Mexican gang members coming in our country trying to stop war. It reminded me so much of why I didn't love you wearing the sweatshirt 13 hours as much. <laughs> right. <which is> like, <laughs> it was a lot of that in 13 hours. Yeah. There's a true story about these men and what they did and their sacrifices they made and the blood, the sweat, the tears, and the lives that were lost during mm-hmm. those 13 hours. Right. But the film also frames it as evil brown people. Evil brown people. But luckily, white man saves the day. And I, the white man saves the day part doesn't bother me as much <laughs> as faceless yeah. evil. It, it's the same with American Sniper. Mm. There's a, there's a, <laughs> and it, what kills about American Sniper is there's a portion of American Sniper where it's the other rival sniper guy right and his wife doesn't want him to leave it's a very brief humanizing moment i was like look we need more of that because these aren't just like evil people Mm -hmm. looking to just murder for the sake of murdering they have an idea the same way Mm -hmm. these american soldiers have an idea a country a belief that they're fighting for yep it's not just like we're evil for the sake of evil so let's go murder they're following a doctrine yeah whatever just like whether you agree with the doctrine or not it is a doctrine they're following and they believe and also I mean, I don't want to get too political, but <laughs> what what we're not seeing here and what you, when you've talked to people from these other countries is what American infrastructure has done to some of these areas that's not Destroyed good. Destroyed them. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. So, yeah, of course they feel that way. Yeah. There's a whole documentary called, like, The Making of a Terrorist that, like, breaks. It's like, it starts with a guy who was, like, a professor before 9-11 and, like, after 9-11 and everything that happens to this mm. dude. And you're just like, you Mm-mm. turn this guy into, like... Yeah. This he was a professor who after 9-11 was telling people no his family back home no Americans are fine this is just a thing they're not gonna and he stopped at the airport detained for long periods mm-hmm. of time without any trial without any it's all of that it, yeah. it reminds me so much of on a micro level right mm-hmm. when us as brown people talk about how unjust the judicial system is because we're aware of people we know people in situations right whether it's it's holding people without bail, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And for other people who don't experience that, they don't see it. Or they just don't believe it. They don't believe it, to, they don't believe it to be true. With these days, and again, I think one of the biggest social things that happened mm-hmm. that changed our viewpoint was social media. Yeah. So with the, riot, me, the me, riots in Syria, you know, stuff like that, when you have not just the news yeah. covering it and whatever, like, you have the people literally in the middle of the yeah. street. To me, that was Ferguson for me. Right, live streaming it right. I remember in real time on Twitter watching people on the ground in Ferguson report what was happening, and CNN's on my television and they're reporting something different. But then have those people 
on Twitter be like, hey, CNN, no, 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 that is wrong. I am right here. We are here. here. It is tear gas, and they're gassing us, and the police are telling us this, and then follow up with video footage of this mm-hmm. thing actually happening. Like, there was a footage the other day, and this black man, you know, on the curb, listening to what the police had to say, gets tased. Now, now again- Getting we, confusing, like, legs out straight. Yeah. Hand, and it was like, what, he is sitting on a curb. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to delve into that too much, right. but but also, but the but the idea of these are these were conversations my dad had been having with me for years. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad couldn't have with him, but you know what I'm saying, like those kind of conversations that people often either shrug or the what aboutisms come up, or well, if you just listen to the police, none of this would happen. But we're seeing time and time again that people are saying, "No, I was mm-hmm. obeying the police officer." There's so many of these crazy stories. Yeah. Like I was sharing some with somebody. There were so many of them that are just the. the the craziest, the craziest being that kid who played for University of, of Miami, football player. I right. mean, this is a tangent, but you guys please look the story up because it is absolutely freaking insane. He's a football player, right? First time I heard of his name, he gets dismissed from the team, which is common. College kid right. mm-hmm. did something, got got busted. Right. Right. Now what I'm gonna, what I'm about to tell you is one thousand percent true because it's it, it and it's so bonkers. That you're like, I can't believe this happened to him. He helps a woman on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. She, you know, he's 23. She's in the same age group. She's like, yo, you know, come through. I'm going to hit you later. Thank you for helping me. He's mm-hmm. like, bet. Right. You know, exchange text messages. Goes to her house, right? Now, this could have easily been me at 23. Mm-hmm. <laughs> meet some young women. Hey, come through. It could be, <laughs> like, me, yes, it could be, <laughs> be me today. Right. <laughs> uh, shows up at the house. A uh, guy comes in outside the house with the gun. Tells him, holds his hands up. Another guy from inside the house with the gun, freeze, you're under arrest, and they throw all these charges at him. A resisting arrest, a person like an officer, all of these charges that are absolute BS, bro. Mm-hmm. But the kid's just, he's a scared 22 was like, all right, well, whatever, man. <clears throat> so they charge him. So when he's charged, when he's booted off the team. But he has an attorney. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, these two officers have been running an unsanctioned, unmonitored, quote-unquote, sting operation, right? One of the officers had has, is, was in a sexual relationship with the girl, who was quote unquote in need of help who mm-hmm. apparently was part of the sting operation. Right. So they had a relationship prior to this event happening. So all the charges are bogus. They still try to get this kid to plead to a misdemeanor. For and doing his attorney, literally nothing wrong. <laughs> his attorney was like, why, why would he even, he was so dumbfounded. Like, why would he even, this is getting tossed out on Tuesday. Right. Why am I accepting a plea on Friday? When the judge shows up on Tuesday, it, it's out, and he, my client is free to go. But it allows them, here's, here's how the sausage is made, right? It allows the police force to say, look at our conviction rate. Mm-hmm. Yep. 95%. Mm-hmm. Right? Even though the con- conviction is absolute BS, mm-hmm. but you got this guy to plead to a misdemeanor, which doesn't go on his record or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It allows you to say, look, we need more funding. Look what we're doing. We're doing great police work. When there's real police work <laughs> to do, I'd imagine in South Florida. Florida's crazy. But you're spending, <laughs> you're spending time and resources on a fake sting operation to bust people for no reason who are just living their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. It's like the woman who called the police on that little girl selling water. Permit patty. What are you doing? Yeah. They, they called the police on that young black kid. Someone brought to my attention. That young black kid more lawns in Cleveland. It was the same sort of town that Tamir Rice got shot in. Mm-hmm. You know what you're doing when you're calling the police. Yeah. Well, and then Permit Patty said that she was not actually calling the police. She was just pretending to. So I was like, yeah. oh, so you're using your power to inflict yeah. fear, which, again, tying back to the movie, yeah. that was what they were doing. Yeah. They're using this movie. Maybe this is not Taylor Sheridan's 
That may not be his point. goal. Yeah. yeah, it may not be his goal, but that is the repercussions of the art that you created. Yeah. I say, I know this has been intended. We say all this to say, this is the world that us brown people live in yeah. every day, right? And so, how we're perceived in media has a much bigger impact than I think some people realize. It's the same way with women. Yeah, like, the way women are portrayed in film is important because men take these cues as being, oh, this is how it goes down. Um, no, it's not, Th- that, it's that not was how life. it did go down. Yeah before women had as much of a voice and as much of a platform. Nowadays, when a woman does stand up for herself or whatever, and guys like, oh, she just stuck up. And it was like, because it, she did not accept your advances? Not it, not, like, I mean, that, that's a whole nother right. kind of words, but just in general, just an overall arcing concept of how people behave and how we're portrayed in media mm-hmm. does have an impact on how people are seen. As it, 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 well-grounded as we are, right? We, we only know what we know mm-hmm. all i know about london is what i've seen on television so when i go up and when i show up in london one day mm-hmm. i'm gonna, i'm coming with all these perceived notions about right. what i think the city is and how the people behave right um but since i'm not someone who's in uh, power to make a decision or, or have any real impact that's is what it is right because yep. there are plenty of people in middle america who will look at this movie and look at the portrayal of see and say yeah they will think it is documentary they will, they, they, <laughs> like, they think what they're seeing is the real threat. Yeah. They think that is the real threat. It, huh. Here's the thing. It is a threat. There, that, there is a smidge of truth that these things are happening. Of course. 100%. There but are people who come over here who are moving drugs and are in gangs, right? But that the is fact not that the When norm. you have people of so many different ages, yeah. from 5 to 50 and yeah. 60 and up, and again, people also like to think, certain people in this country... The crossing the border is just a fence. Yeah. Like the real grand. Yeah. Like, again, like the horrible terms, yeah. you know, that people have for you know, Mexicans, Mexican Americans. Like, you have to cross a river, a very dangerous river. You have to do all of these things. That's like, in the it, film. This woman's just yeah. swept away. And then they're like, oh, we need, we need to get her. And he was like, nope. nope we got to keep it moving. Yeah. Like, it is not easy, quote unquote, right. to do it. But people. And it's not easy to get citizenship. A lot of middle America is like, oh, well, they're, they're just coming over here. Like it is just walking across yeah. the street. The ta- the, <laughs> it's all of these false ideas that they're taking our jobs. Right. That did you ever see Cartel Land? Yes. Oh, there's that part in it where they talk about the drugs, and he's like, "Look, if Americans stop buying drugs, we wouldn't have. A, we need to be over here." <laughs> right. Well, that's it, really the rub. They, they talked about how recently how many guns the Mexican officials confiscate from Americans coming down to Mexico. Yeah. That are unlicensed, unregistered. Yeah. They collect something. It was like thirteen thousand weapons. That were not, did not have the yeah. proper documentation. So it's like, okay, so you're bringing guns into our country mm-hmm. because you want rah-rah America. Yeah. And yet you're like, what? Yeah, and then that's, you know, I, I listen, I, the film is what it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's fine. Like, I didn't love it. I, I felt the first one was better. They just, there's a lot to do in the film that was kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. There's no real villain in the movie. Nope. Like, everyone's kind of a, a terrible person. And it is there's way no more showdown. brutal than the it's first one. It's brutal for no reason. It's no fine. Reason. It, you're going to watch it. It's it's fine. There's an audience for that kind of action. Um, but, you know, since we're talking about it, I think the real commentary has been, listen, man, I'm never going to push back against people who have a concern with how they're represented in media. Because right. I've been there. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what that feels like. I understand it. <laughs> so, I, I, joke I about get a... why people would feel that way. Yeah. Well, I can, listen, and I can love a thing and understand why someone would feel a certain way about how they, it was portrayed. I get mm-hmm. it. Doesn't mean I can't love it. Doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. 
And it just means, yeah, you're right that it was perceived. Like I have that a lot of time with some of my friends who are part of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. They'll point out things about how a, 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 a queer character or is portrayed in film that I had noticed. Yep. They'll be like, oh, yeah, man, I didn't like it because it was boom, 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 boom. They'll run down a list of things. They'll be like, oh, yeah, well, just, I, didn't, I did not see that, but yeah, you got Just like with, with Leave No Trace. Yeah. The other critics in our Seattle Film Critics Society that I was talking to, they did not even recognize that there were not any people of color in the entire movie. Yeah. Because that is not their lens. Right. With, the, with this movie, with Sicario, Day of the Soldado, the lens that you and I view this from is very different. Yeah. And it... It changes. Like, and again, the first one, I really enjoyed the first one. I thought it deserved the Oscar nominations that it got. This is way more violent, yeah. way more unnecessarily stereotypically racist. It's very problematic for reasons I don't understand. And even when there's a... I'm going to spoil this uh, oh. part of it. So the movie starts off with uh, suicide bombers yes. in a grocery store. And then it cuts to another suicide bombing somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Turns out, like, and they, that, of course, kicks off the whole movie, and we need to go here, here, do all of these things. The third act of the movie, we get this reveal that those were Americans, like, they were from New Jersey mm-hmm. who did that. They were not this outside threat, blah, blah, blah. That, like, focus on that. Focus on these this thing where... But listen, like, that's fine if that's not a story they're telling. If that's the story you want to tell in your movie, that's fine. If this is just a tidbit and you don't want to... It just felt like a, after being offended with a lot of what was going on in the movie, to see that be like, okay, what? You yeah. give that one line? Yeah. Uh, listen, if that's not a story <laughs> that, 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 that Sheridan and the director are trying to tell, that's fine. Right. That is totally fine. And I'm fine with the story that's told from beginning to end. But I also understand people can look at that and say this is problematic. Yeah. You can tell the story. This is... A story you want to tell, you can tell that story. Mm-hmm. But it's also people have the right to look at it and say, "I don't like how it's told." Yeah, tell it. That's story you want to tell. I don't, I'm not. I'm not trying to make the movie something that's not the content police. Yeah, I'm not, you know, yeah, it's what it's what you want to tell. But people can look at it and say, "Hey, man, the way you position brown people in this film is troublesome, especially right with now. what's happening yeah. daily." Mm-hmm. Yeah, this woman yelling at some little kid, saying she's gonna call ice on him. Yep. That's one thing I was telling Aaron. I was like, look, man, if you had to go to school or go to work and I was a day-to-day stress you walked in, you're at Fred Meyer and someone mm-hmm. walks up to you and says, go back to your country and we're going to call ICE on you. Some A random stranger yep. approaches you yep. and you're an American <laughs> citizen. Yeah, you would feel a way about how this movie is portrayed. Yeah, you would feel, how, you would feel mm-hmm. different about the portrayal because you realize it does have an impact on people. Yeah. Or, I mean, again, speaking from personal experience, being a ethnic chameleon mm-hmm. and you walk in somewhere and people just look at you and they're just trying to figure out what what you are and what I mean, all these, like one well, and the judgments that come with that okay and like, so that's the problem like yeah. that's the thing it's not the i don't know what race you are mm-hmm. it's the judgment associated with it mm-hmm. and those primarily come from our media yeah because how what else do they know it's not like they had like a bunch of bad run-ins with it's like all this anti-black stuff. There was this some. It was like Obama's last year. They did all this poll, and it was. Mm-hmm. It was they were doing these internet searches. In a lot of these places, there were no black. There, like the number of black people and brown people in those neighborhoods were slim. 
where does this come from then where does this hatred the and dissent yeah. come from mm-hmm. you're not living around these people where is it where does this hatred come from where's this idea of what of what it is yeah yeah. So anyway, if you're listening, go. There's a there's a, I forgot the the convict's name, but they will find it and put it in the show notes. But they ran whole campaigns on this dude, mm-hmm. whole campaigns about locking people up because he's gonna this guy. Kind of, it was like a legitimate, literally a revolving door that would show this guy getting out and he's gonna rape and murder people because it happened one time. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Sicario, Day of the Soldado, good, bad, or ugly? What you got? It's bad. It's not an ugly movie. It's yep. just bad. I just felt like it was. Sort of piecemeal together. Not yep. there's not a real good story that's being told here, other than people try to start a war and that fell through. And Alejandro has to save this little girl. There's no real good resolution to the story. No. There's no real good high points. It's kind yep. of just it's kind of there. It's it's well made. It's well shot. It, I mean, yeah, the performances are all solid. Yeah. I agree. It it is a bad Benicio del Toro. Like that guy is fantastic. I, yeah, I really good. enjoy everything he does. And Brolin's good in it. Brolin is great. The the girl is fantastic. I I could not separate myself from it. Uh, but yeah, so it gets bad. No. Uh, okay. So to round out the show, yes, which definitely is, is what everyone's a, here for. <laughs> Sorry for the long time. It's a longer episode. It's a longer episode. All right, let me go to my. You page. Wrote, you took notes. I did. Take and you notes. weren't tweeting in in Instagramming. You're right. So. The movie that I watched as a research assignment, 500 Days of Summer. Yes. Starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Zoe Deschanel uh, from 2009. Okay. Uh, directed by Mark Webb. Yes. Good old Mark Webb. Good old Mark Webb. Uh, I have no idea why in the photos on IMDb, Ralph Macchio is in one of them. I have no idea. Like, look at this. Was he in it? Not that I remember. And where? What, that's it's not, it's not a cat. Is that a cast photo? Yeah, like it is with the the rest of the people. I don't remember in there. Where we're at? I have no idea. Wait, no. What do you? What do you? Oh, what oh. picture right here. Yeah. Well, that's from like a premiere or something. I guess it's not like yeah, that's not like a that's photo weird. from the film. It's not like a uh, still from the movie. This scene was not in the movie. At least not that I remember. No. With the Zoe Deschanel's on the bus. Okay, so okay. the movie is Five Hundred Days of Summer. Yeah. Uh, I had never seen it. Okay. I had never seen a trailer for it. No. Uh, my thoughts as to what the movie was when I broke it down last week, that Joseph Gordon-Levitt had a guitar. Yeah. Uh, I don't see any guitar. And <laughs> I have no idea where I got that from. Most likely it was probably because around the time this movie was come out, yeah. Zoe Edition I was doing a lot with her ukulele. Yeah. And it probably just got in my head that way. Okay. Uh, so the film. Your synopsis was really interesting. My what? Your synopsis was very interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, very interesting. <laughs> Well, yeah, they basically, they only got together in the summer over a period of time. Anyway, her name is Summer. Got you. So, 500 days, you know, of summer. Uh, things that I liked. I will start there. Um, I liked the non-linear storytelling. Okay. That was clever. It would go, it would do this little, like, uh, sketch sequence with a number in parentheses of 1 or 50 or 303, and that was the day after they had started their thing. And so it would go from like 303 to 50. Mm-hmm. I liked the nonlinear storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really cool. Um, the black and white, like French expressionist film scene yeah. type thing. Awesome. Okay. I, I like that because I have seen French expressionist films yeah. and it just, they're just so arty. Uh, the expectations versus reality scene, which I think you put on your Insta story. One of my favorite scenes. Fantastic. Like I really enjoyed that because it was, that was accurate. 
when we go into situations, whether it is a romantic thing or not, mm-hmm. we were like, all right, this is going to happen. And then this and this and this. Seeing those two side by side, not only was it a clever directorial choice, but it was it was accurate. Like all of us mm-hmm. have those preconceived notions as to what yeah. a situation is going to happen. Um, okay. So I like to have other things, but we'll get into that. Uh, now, oh, I loved the dance number. Uh, in the street after yeah. their first night. Yeah. That was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I really like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I he's think a, he is a, a solid solid actor. He can do a lot. He can. Uh, his company, Hit Record, is doing some really great things and really helping independent content creators get their stuff made. Yeah. Zoe Deschanel, I have much less exposure to. Okay. She is bland and boring. She's perfect for this role of summer. Yeah, I, I guess. They um, need someone to be exciting. Yeah. Uh, now, to Summer. Okay. Uh, this is one of the most selfish people <laughs> that I have seen in a movie in a while. Is she selfish? Yes. And I can I say that because I like that she has the agency to be like, hey, this is what I, this is what I do not want. I'm not ready for a relationship. I don't want X, Y, Z. How's that selfish? But... When he specifically says he wants more yeah. and she continues to only focus on what she wants, yeah. that bothers me. How's that selfish? How is that not selfish? <laughs> She's not like, she, here's when thing. he specifically says, he was like, I need more. And she was like, bah, bah, and then they start making out. And it was like, do, but, do you not respect his choices either? So at the end of the movie, uh-huh. they're having a conversation on, on the bench. I hated that. I was, it's the best part of the movie. No. You are already married. Spoiler alert for this movie that came out 10 years yeah, ago. Spoiler this movie. I don't know. What we're... Um, so, yeah. So, so she is already married she's by this married. point. Mm-hmm. And she is still flirting with him and still she's holding his hand. flirting with him. And holding his hand and being like, oh, you're such a great guy. Like, all she's this not stuff. flirting with him. Um, I did like his, his reaction to that. I even wrote it down. His reactions are completely normal. Hers are too. When he was like, wait, why? Like... If you were with this guy and uh, like thinking that he was going to propose yeah. when they go to this wedding or they end up at a wedding yeah. together, like why was there all of this chemistry? Why was she still flirting with him? If you know, like his reaction to that, his confusion, his like, why did, why'd you dance with me? Yeah. Like she says, cause I wanted to it's just that that is completely selfish. When you know it's, that you have a man selfish. in your life, a person in your life, whether I don't know if it's selfish, it's, it's, it's something I wouldn't do. I don't, I don't know if I'd call it selfish. It is absolutely selfish because she has somebody in her life that, she knew at that time was he's upset that he nearing... didn't, she didn't tell him about it right because she was selfish no he's upset he didn't tell him about it not why would she it, not it, it, tell it, him about that other... on her uh-huh but at the end of the movie when they're on the bench and they're talking right and she was like you know who's like how, essentially how, how could you just get married that you didn't want to be with anyone yeah and what she tells him is that i realized it i was sure about what? Said, I, yeah, said, I, I woke I was, up and I realized. I, I was that sure. I said what? But I, was, I, I realized something. What? I, it was essentially something I was never really sure about with you. Mm-hmm. That that's that it. part is fine. Like that that's, on it, that that honesty that is fine. Is Where the, was that honesty? The that, rest of the movie. <laughs> that is the crux of the film. Which Ugh. is there's more to a relationship than just we have similar. We like the same music. We like the same things. Right. We enjoy being around each other, right? There's, there's, there's a feeling you have where she didn't have that feeling for her. And I don't necessarily believe he had that feeling for her. I think he was just infatuated with her. 
Mm-hmm. I don't feel like he had that strong feeling for her. And why would she invite him to her engagement party? That is such a slap in the face and such a selfish move. I don't know if it was an engagement party. It was like she. It was a party with she was sh- and, and he sees her showing off an engagement ring. <laughs> it was an engagement party. Either way, at that point, let her brother know. Just like, hey, this yeah. is a new thing that is happening in my life. Yeah. Like it was just those types of decisions that she made. Yeah. Just really bothered me. Yeah. Um, I, listen, if I'm if I'm completely honest, there was when I first watched the movie, I hated Summer. Okay, but yeah. as I've grown, I get where Summer's coming from. Again, I can respect. I a get lot it. Of, I can respect some of her choices. And Tom is more of a whiny crybaby. The more I watch it, Tom. Yeah, Tom cracked me. Up. Joseph Gordon Levitt as Tom. He cracked me up on some yeah. of it, like in the beginning, and he was like, "Oh, she's she's great. She's this and this." And it was like day eleven. Yeah. Like of course, like it was puppy yeah. love. But at the same time, like it just yes. He is whiny. He's a whiny crybaby. She is extremely selfish, and I don't know. I, I don't know if selfish is the word I would use. Okay, I, I am using it because I just it's selfish. And it's selfish if they if both people want the same thing, and she's holding back from him. No, it but is it's selfish to have the other hear, person hear what, say. Hear, 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 hear what I'm saying. Okay. It's selfish <laughs> if the two people want the same thing, and she's somehow holding back. But it's obvious on my like tenth watch of this movie oh. that they didn't want the same things. Of course not. So she's not being selfish. They just both have different desires. If, but if she knows that he does not want that and she knows that he is hurting because of what is happening, yes, he also should have had the agency to just walk away. Absolutely. Yeah, he could have left at any time. But she also could have recognized the hurt that she was causing inadvertently to this person and chosen not to do that. But Again, she did not. She, I don't think she's looking at the relationship in the same lens he is. Obviously not. She said at one point, she was like, from she's like, oh, you're my friend. And, and he was like, and I loved his reaction. He was like, this isn't what friends do. <laughs> he was like, I don't sleep with my friends. Yeah. And, he's, and, and he, you know, he yells at her that, you know, he gets a say in this too, which is yeah. true. He has a say in it. His say was to walk away. He never walked away. His say was to walk, be like, all right, cool. I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. He doesn't walk away. And he keeps showing up just to get punched in the face. He keeps inviting himself for these beatdowns. He keeps running into the ring and getting stomped out, getting yeah. curse stomped by this woman. Uh, that is not her fault. You want to keep running back to her? And she's she's going to play the same little game she's been playing. She's going to hold your hand at Ikea. Mm-hmm. She's going to make out with you. She's going to invite you to places. She's Because she's not a terrible person. She's going to be warm mm-hmm. and loving and inviting. Because she's, she's not an evil person. So their interactions are always very positive. But when it gets to the point where we need to decide what we're doing, she's not on that train. Right. He is. So there's always going to be a bumping of heads. So as, as much as she operates in a way that I would not operate, mm-hmm. I understand her saying, I don't want a relationship. I don't want a boyfriend. This is fun. You're aware of this. Okay, cool. Now, if you want to now, if we want to move forward with this, that's fine. If you keep showing up for this beat now, okay. But I told you, and then she ends up meeting someone who she then is in love with and gets married. All the while, not telling him. Why she didn't owe him? Because they a were still. She, she, she was still no, no. She, she didn't owe him that. But when they do have interactions, yeah. After that relationship, and right. he is still like, wow, she is still flirting with me. She is still dancing is with me. Is she flirting? The dancing, like everything, like it was. But it reminds you of his sister telling him at the end, like if you look back, you've seen it, and he reflects right. back. Things that he thought were flirtatious weren't really flirtatious. That's his lens of seeing it because he's infatuated. They were also not just friends. They were friends. Friends who sleep together and do all of that stuff. They were not together in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like that box. Are you single? Are you married? Are you divorced? Right? 
you, you're falling in one of these lines, and unless you have that other title. They weren't together. I'm not I'm just not playing semantics. They weren't right. together. And so when you're looking back, those weren't moments where they were flirting. That was the lens we're seeing through his eyes. So when you're watching the movie, Tom is not a reliable narrator in this film at yeah. all. Speaking, at, I'm, I'm, glad, all. I'm glad you brought that up. The narrator, the voiceover, yeah. what the hell was that about? That was the dumbest choice. It basically sounded like the architect from The Matrix. Yeah, I think that was the point. That was the weirdest choice. But and I was like, he, he's and not he has reliable. like seven lines. Yeah. He sets up the movie in the beginning and then after all this set like has a thing at the end. That was just dumb. That was just a weird choice. Um he's not reliable when you watch the film because it's through his lens. He's, he's so he's seeing these things that aren't really there. Right. So this idea where you think she keeps starting with flirting and showing up and flirting with him, it's not what's really happening. She's not really showing up and flirting with him. That's how he sees it, because that's right. how he wants to see it. It's not really what's happening. Yeah. It's not, um, not Summer's fault. I, I definitely keep watching so. the film. Never gonna happen. Uh, why, why not? You didn't so, like it. So uh, what else? Uh, I'm trying to think. You didn't like the soundtrack. Else to say. Soundtrack was good. Uh, definitely. I mean, I could see. I know that some of our social media interactions. Somebody mentioned that. Maybe it was on Facebook. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, I love the soundtrack. Cool. I totally see that." Um, at the very end. No. Oh yeah. At the end when he meets the other girl. <laughs> Uh, Autumn. whose name is Autumn and he Kelly? looks directly at the camera and smiles yeah it's so dumb in a movie where he gets another chance at life but the the wink and nudge at the camera like that was just that was I, that, you, that was terrible for you movies are about choices I just that was just a weird choice good for them he, um, meets, he gets another chance yeah he took a shot asked Autumn out for, for a coffee or drink later and then she said no and then she said yes right good for him yeah, uh, getting back on your horse. So with movies like this yeah. that we look back on, uh, the one of us has not seen, uh, the rating system as opposed to good, bad, or ugly yeah. is too late or worth the wait. Yeah. Pretty simple. Break, breaks down to either the movie is too late and it just you were not able to connect to it like you like somebody did when they first saw it and everything like that, or worth the wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, classic examples of this from our episode two two part episode of mm-hmm. too late or worth the wait. Uh, Titanic. Mm-hmm. I finally saw mm-hmm. G- too late. Uh, it just, yeah, did not really hold it, hold its own. So with 500 days of summer, yeah, I truly did like start certain parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, it was funny in parts that I did not expect it to be funny in. Huh. Uh, yeah, it was heartfelt in some moments mm-hmm. too late. Like I just I will not watch. You went in not liking it. Not I went in like honestly like with an open mind. Sure you did. Uh, just like I did with Titanic. Mm. Uh, it's it just, not a romantic comedy. That I will agree with. That that I was completely mistaken on. It's not a this is a comedy. drama. It's a drama with some comedic elements. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it is not a romantic comedy. You, you were definitely correct to that. But it just I I nothing about this movie makes me want to see it again. Nothing about this movie makes me want to feel anything more for these characters because um, it's a movie that you've got to keep revisiting not gonna happen i'm not saying you're going to right <laughs> but how you view these characters will change the more you view this film i i suppose uh, and listen there will be people listening to this podcast who will say yes mm-hmm. the more you watch oh, i'm it, sure just the, from the reaction that i had yeah. on social media but when I'm, we started talking I mean, about this ask them the more you watch this film I, I was very much in your camp the first time i saw it okay the more I've watched it, the more I'm like, yeah, Tom was whining too much. And Summer, Summer 
was like this is this is the lane i'm in mm-hmm. you either in or out and tom was in and out of it and that's not summer's fault yeah yeah so it's summer's just, fault and it's the, it, i like the way it's constructed because you're watching it through the lens of tom and you're seeing summer a certain way but that's not actually how she is right She's I, different. I, She's different. I, I did like the storytelling. You know, that, that part, definitely. Uh, like to the direction. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. Again, keep watching it. Uh, keep I, watching it. You'll, 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 if you watch this again a year from now. I, yeah, I cannot see myself doing that. If you watch uh, it again a if. year from now. <laughs> right. I think you would look at these characters differently. Okay. Than you do today. Okay. I will take your word for it. Uh, cool. So this has been a super extended edition of the yeah. podcast because we had a bunch of movies to cover. Sorry, Damien. Uh, no, Damien, like the length is fine because like editing is, is easy. Yeah. Jess with the length. Then she was like, how is it so long? Uh, okay. So to wrap up, Leave No Trace, mm-hmm. uh, which I saw starring Ben Foster, uh, Thomason McKenzie. It was a bad, beautifully shot movie. Fantastic, captivating performances by the actors. Like I, they were very very good but the rest of the movie i just had a lot of problems with so bad whitney the documentary about whitney houston we both gave a very strong good to uh one of the best documentaries of the year so far a painful documentary to watch because we know what where it is going the whole time ant-man and the wasp uh the new marvel movie we both gave a good to a solid marvel movie that feels like it is truly part of the greater universe and it leads into the next phase in some interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Uncle Drew, the commercial turned feature length movie. Mm-hmm. We both gave a good to. It still is phenomenal. They even took a commercial and made it into a movie. Yeah. Good for I'm them. sure there is a list on Wikipedia of how many times that has happened. None. I can't think of it. What's uh, did the Noid have a cartoon? Yeah, but not a movie. And he had a video game. I remember the Noid. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So Uncle Drew got two good Sicario day of the Soldado. We both gave a bad because even though it was shot beautifully and the performances were fantastic, the brown panic and the... Yeah, that was really my reason for bad. I understood the brown panic concern. It just, I didn't think it came together. Even without yeah. the brown panic stuff, and it didn't feel like it. It was kind of pointless. Yeah, kind of pointless. And, and But there were people who love it. Very, very graphically violent. Yeah. In, in weird ways that I was not expecting. Uh, and then, yeah, 500 Days of Summer in the other rating system gets a too late uh, from me. I enjoyed parts of it. The performances were... We're good. Zoe Deschanel, her yeah. eyes are gigantic, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt has tiny little eyes. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting uh, dynamic between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a hilarious skit uh, when Zoe Deschanel... Because I just think, I like her as an actress and the things I've seen her. And she did Saturday Night Live years ago mm-hmm. as the host, and she did Being Quirky mm-hmm. with Zoe Deschanel, where one of the other people played her. Mm-hmm. She played Mary-Kate Olsen, yeah. or Mary, one of them. Hilarious. Yeah. So... But yeah, it was just it was too late for me. Uh, yeah. So what you got coming up, and where can people find you? Um, uh, you can find me at peoplescriticalblog.com, People's Critic on Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can find me. I just did Chris Lambert's Monday and Festival podcast. It's probably up now. Um, we did another Patreon episode. We were done with that, talking about some movies, which was always fun talking to Chris. Nice. Um, shout out to him. Shout out to Chris. Awesome, Lambert. awesome podcast. Awesome guy. Uh, he and I are supposed to do another one soon because we did one a while ago and unfortunately it got deleted oh that's not fun uh so yeah 
so it was cool talking to Chris. Um, you know, some reviews coming up. I have an interview with Boots Riley mm-hmm. dropping. It's probably up now. Um, reviews for a bunch of movies. And um, the Purge, uh, the start, the first the Purge, Purge. I love those Purge movies, so this will be fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm, inter- I'm interested for that one. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the Purge movies. I think they've gotten better as they've progressed. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, upcoming stuff for the About to Review podcast. I did an interview with Bo Burnham and Elsie Fisher mm-hmm. from 8th Grade, uh, from their new film, 8th Grade. I think I will be dropping that one. I think I still have to wait until the 13th for that. Uh, the interview with Cheo Coker mm-hmm. is available uh, now. Mm-hmm. It was... Got up a couple days later, just with some technical stuff. What's up now? Uh, yeah. I didn't know what's up now. I'll go check it out. By the time this airs. Oh. <laughs> so it's not up now, so I can't go listen. I was like, wow, I didn't Way see my podcast. the magic. So, no, so, so it'll be up in a couple days. Yes. Gotcha. It, it will be up by the time this episode drops. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's just some technical delays to that that Damien and I were trying to work through. It was a phone call interview, which yeah. are always kind of tough, uh, especially trying to do a podcast for. I see. That's so, how Chris does his. Chris Lambert. At least with me. Yeah. We're on the phone. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. Uh, and then this week is, is July 4th. For those of you who are celebrating Independence Day and everything, just be safe. Make your choices. Don't drink and drive. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, it sounds preachy, but at the same time, like... Don't drink and drive. There's no reason for d- it. There, there really is not. Yeah. So just be safe out there, everybody. Uh, so again, for this podcast, you can find it on all forms of social media at About to Review. AboutTreeView.com has full shown us to the links... Full links to the show notes and guest youtube.com slash about to review. Vote for the podcast on the Renton City Geek Awards. I think I'm actually uh, eligible for another national uh, podcast award. Okay. That uh, More details will be coming on that right. in the coming weeks and also possibly some new sponsorships and uh, partnerships coming up. Right. So, yeah, that is it for this episode of the About to Review podcast. New episodes are released every Wednesday on your podcast platform of choice. I have been joined this week by Tim, the People's Critic. And I've been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.